any of them. Okay. Okay, we ready, President Swig? And, and we should fill out a card, is that correct? Okay. Um, Don't worry about it, okay. Okay, good evening and welcome to the November 16th, 2022 hybrid meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. President Rick Swig will be the presiding officer tonight and he's joined by Vice President Jose Lopez, Commissioner Alex Lemberg, Commissioner John Chesvina, and Commissioner J.R. Epler. We also expect shortly Deputy City Attorney John Givner who will provide the board with any needed legal advice. At the controls is the board's legal assistant, Al Kwangway, and I'm Julie Rosenberg, the board's executive director. We will also be joined by representatives from the city departments that will be presenting before the board this evening. Tina Tam, the deputy zoning administrator representing the planning department. Matthew Green, the acting chief building inspector representing the department of building inspection. Kate Turan, director of SFMTA taxis and accessible services division. And Philip Crana, enforcement and legal affairs manager for the SFMTA taxis and accessible services division. The board meeting guidelines are as follows. The board requests that you turn off or silence all phones and other electronic devices so they will not disturb the proceedings. No eating or drinking in the hearing room. The, rules of, the board's rules of presentation are as follows. Appellants, permit holders, <coughs> and department respondents each are given seven minutes to present their case and three minutes for rebuttal. People affiliated with these parties must include their comments within these seven or three minute periods. Members of the public who are not affiliated with the parties have up to three minutes each to address the board and no rebuttal. For cases that have been previously heard, the parties are given three minutes each with no rebuttal. Mr. Longway, our legal assistant, will give you a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Four votes are required to grant an appeal or to modify a permit or determination. If you have questions about requesting a rehearing, the board rules or hearing schedules, please email board staff at boardofappeals at sfgov.org. <clears throat> now, public access and participation are of paramount importance to the board. SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will have the ability to receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. SFGov TV is also providing closed captioning for this meeting. To watch the hearing on TV, go to SFGov TV cable channel 78. Please note that it will be rebroadcast on Fridays at 4 on Channel 26. A link to the live stream is found on the homepage of our website at sfgov.org forward slash BOA. Now, public comment can be provided in three ways. One, in person. Two, via Zoom. Please go to our website and click on the Zoom link. Three, by telephone. Call 1-669-900-6833 and enter webinar ID 884-7911-0374. And again, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming the phone number and access instructions across the bottom of the screen if you're watching the live stream or broadcast. To block your phone number when calling in, first dial star six seven, then the phone number. Listen for the public comment portion for your item to be called and dial star nine, which is the equivalent of raising your hand so that we know you want to speak. You will be brought into the hearing when it is your turn. You may have to dial star six to unmute yourself. You have three minutes. Our legal assistant will give you a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Please note that there's a delay between the live proceedings and what is broadcast and live streamed on TV and the internet. Therefore, it is very important that people calling in reduce or turn off the volume on their TVs or computers, otherwise there is interference with the meeting. If any of the participants or attendees on Zoom need a disability accommodation or technical assistance, you can make a request in the chat function to Alec Longway, the board's legal assistant, or send an email to boardofappeals.sfgov.org. Now, the chat function cannot be used to provide public comment or opinions. Please note that we'll take public comment first from those members of the public who are physically present in the hearing room. 
Now we will swear or affirm all those who intend to testify. Please note that any member of the public may speak without taking an oath pursuant to their rights under the Sunshine Ordinance. If you intend to testify at any of tonight's proceedings and wish to have the board give your testimony evidentiary weight, raise your right hand and say, I do, after you've been sworn in or affirmed. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Okay, thank you. If you are a participant and you're not speaking, please put your Zoom speaker on mute. So item number one is general public comment. This is an opportunity for anyone who'd like to speak on a matter within the board's jurisdiction, but that is not on tonight's calendar. Is there any member of the public who wishes to speak on an item that is not on tonight's agenda? Okay, we do have a speaker. Um, uh, Mark Ruberg, and before uh, I start my, my comment, I, I'd like a point of clarification. Uh, because I noted on the website that it said that uh, if a matter uh, has uh, previously been closed to public comment at a previous hearing, that any public comment on that matter should be made uh, during general public comment. And uh, I'm, I'm not aware that any of the taxi matters that you have on your agenda have been closed for public comment, but if they have, I would like to speak to them at this point. Okay, can you clarify what you want to speak to? Uh, yeah, I want to, speak, any to, item I on want to speak specifically to the taxi uh, medallion uh, appeals that you have before you. Okay, well, when those cases are called, you, you will be per, uh, permitted to okay. provide In public that case, comment. I, I have no further public Okay, comment. no problem at all. Is, so it looks like we have, is anyone else here in person for general public comment? Okay, um, I do see Mr. Barry Toronto, please go ahead. You're here for general public comment, sir. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great, thanks. Uh, I'm not gonna speak directly to the matters on the agenda, but I need to ask the, the commissioners themselves to ask certain questions. The website was changed regarding the um, appealable uh, permits to this Board of Appeals. It was changed before a hearing even was scheduled to take place today. The question is, is who is authorized to change the website? Who is authorized to change the wording in the website without the commissioner's permission? And, uh, and whether that is permitted under commission policy. The second question, the issue is, is last night, the MTA board, your executive director's name was mentioned multiple times during the, the item number 14 discussion uh, regarding the Board of Appeals uh, participation in uh, appealing uh, taxi-related permits. And um, I am very much concerned there might be, the, uh, or the appearance of, there might be a conflict of interest regarding your executive director, considering that she headed the hearing division of the SFMTA uh, prior, in her prior job. I am concerned because uh, Bob Feldman, before may he rest in peace, I was a friend of his, uh, would would be would, um, would probably recuse himself in this type of matter, considering uh, the relationship to the SFMTA. Thank you very much for your time and allowing me to speak. Okay, thank you, Mr. Toronto. This isn't a question and answer time, so thank you for your comments. Is there any other further uh, general public comment? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any, so we'll move on to item number two, commissioner comments and questions. Commissioners, any comments or questions? Okay, <clears throat> I'd just like to take the opportunity since this is our last meeting before Thanksgiving to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving 
and may that be a grand entry into the rest of the holiday season and into the new year. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Please raise your hand. Okay, seeing none, we will move on to item number three, the adoption of the minutes. Commissioners before you for discussion of possible adoption are the minutes of the November 2nd, 2022 meeting. Commissioners, any comments on the minutes and is there a motion to accept them? Uh, Mr. Trasvina? I move to approve the minutes as presented. Okay. Uh, is there any public comment on this motion? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any. So we have a motion from Commissioner Trasvina to adopt the minutes. On that motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. That motion carries five to zero and the minutes are adopted. Uh, we are now moving on to item number four. This is appeal number 22-070, Jimin Lee versus Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department Approval, subject property 175 Southwood Drive. Appealing the issuance on September 23, 2022 to Gerardo Corpus and Mary Allison of an alteration permit. In response to notice of violation number 2022-92465, legalize the construction of structure, existing deck at rear yard, which exceeds eight feet in height and 100 square feet in area. New deck is approximately six feet by nine feet. This is permit number 2022-0722-9084. And we will hear from the appellant first. Uh, Welcome. Uh, is my name? Yeah. Uh, good evening, uh, all the member. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, yeah, this is my first time to uh, attend this kind of appeal uh, meeting. Uh, what I want to say is, uh, actually, uh, my neighbor, he built up like, the big uh, shell. You will see the right behind my background uh, picture, uh, which is on your uh, right-hand side. It's a uh, high more than uh, approximately like uh, 13 feet. So it really blocking uh, the sun or uh, the wheeling uh, for my yard and my house. So I feel like uh, very uncomfortable that, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I try to do the research. Uh, I know that, that, that they supposed to have a permit to uh, build up this shell before, but they, they did not. They, uh, after I notified the DBI and they still keep a uh, finish the roof. So, uh, yeah, for, I live in the Westwood Park. I hopefully um, we can uh, lower down at least the, the roof high and then keep uh, our like, the, uh, view, the, the, this whole neighborhood view is uh, uh, nice. Uh, I go up in the uh, popular, uh, in the China, but, uh, popular, a lot of population in the city. So every build, everywhere is a high rise. So uh, that's not really helpful for uh, our uh, people living. And especially, uh, I don't want that uh, this is the sample in my neighborhood. Uh, then it's going to be future. Everybody build up a, a big cell. They actually is not shelter. It's, it's kind of it's construction. Uh, can be that uh, people live inside. So I hope all the members uh, can uh, look up my case. And uh, yeah. Uh, Thank you. This is my uh, percent. Okay. Thank you. We will now hear from the representative for the permit holder. Mr. Duque, you have seven minutes. Thank you. I'm Juan Duque. I'm representing uh, on behalf of Mary Beth and Gerardo. And I do appreciate that Mr. Lee has issues about 
it sounds like uncontrolled construction or something. Um, but the permit that he has protested is trying to build or replace an existing deck which was built very irregularly and built very close to his property, which we're trying to correct. So in many ways, um, Mr. Lee's initial brief had two other points which dealt directly about the deck. And in my rebuttal, or I'm sorry, in my brief, I actually said, we are addressing those items. Um, and we're just asking, like, can, you, can we have the permit or the entitlement kind of reinstated? Now, there is an issue with these sheds that exist. And if you took a look at the permit set that was distributed, we did call them out. We know there's a problem, and we intend to do something about it. In that documentation, there was a promise to do a permit to deal with those things specifically. I do have the permit here, which I tried to initiate, but I couldn't because of this process. But we are trying to take them down. Um, or modify them so we can be in agreement with Mr. Lee. You know, we don't want to be bad neighbors. We just want to, you know, live well and together. And we do see that, you know, it is a big, tall building. Um, but, you know, we could work together and make it work. So that's kind of our stand on this. Um, really, I have nothing else to say. Okay, we have a question from Commissioner Lemberg. Is there any connection? Uh is there any connection between the shed and the deck? Um, I've seen pictures of both, but I'm not clear as to their relationship. No, they are separate. I can, let me see. I can show you a photograph of that condition. <laughs> is it like this? That's our, our deck. Oh, red. That's our deck. Okay. And then where's the shed? The shed is right here in front of that deck. I see. Completely separate. It's, it's a prefabricated kit that was ordered from Flynn or somewhere. And um, they shipped it, and she didn't realize how big it was because <laughs> it's in meters. Um, and when it arrived, they assembled it, and they built it on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, Follow-up question. One of the photos submitted by the appellant uh, it appears at least that um, the deck as it currently sits actually does kind of cross over the property line a little bit or cross over the fence line. Is that being addressed within the scope of the current permit? That is correct. Um, right now, the current design that exists now that we're trying to get rid of um, comes within one foot of the property line, and it does go in two feet into an existing easement, which is for utility lines. Thank you. <clears throat> make it easier <clears throat> do you have the the you have the plans because on the plans it's very clear what the old deck the new deck and i think it might help you uh see it i i don't sorry have, for the interruption john but it just i don't have the out. permit set or that one but i have the new permit set that we're trying to get and it has that information so let me there was yes. a graphic that shows the pre and the post the before and the after so This is the existing deck. As you can see, it's as you can see, it's a little close to our property line here. And what we're trying to do now is to pull it away, and so that way we can have we can respect the easement that's there and have a foot extra. 
Okay, we do have a question from Commissioner Trisvina. Mr. Duque, th thank you for your testimony and, and the uh, brief that you provided. Uh, I, I, I particularly appreciate that you have attempted in writing and here today attempted to address your neighbor's concerns. I think communication is always very helpful to resolve these situations. And I'm wondering whether you have contacted him or your, the homeowner has contacted him directly to uh, express your desires to, to address some of his concerns uh, and, and whether you had any, any response, if there was a yes. direct communication. Thank you for that. Um, the honest answer is I have not communicated directly with Mr. Lee and my neighbors have not addressed this directly with him. It's because we did not know he was the one calling DBI until we found out, until this matter came out and there was a little bit of an animosity, I think, at the very beginning, but now that some time has passed, the client is looking to find a solution. So the appropriate time would probably be, you know, now, but unfortunately, Gerardo and uh, Mary Beth are out of the country because they had this dream, this honeymoon Paris thing going on, and they're just out of country right now, so otherwise they would be here, um, and I wouldn't have to be, so. Okay, thank you. President Swake has a question? No? Okay, thank you, sir. You can sit down. We'll now hear from the planning department. Good evening, President Swig, Vice President Lopez, and members of the board. I'm Tina Tam, Deputy Zoning Administrator. 175 Southwood Drive is a one-story over basement, single-family dwelling in the RH1D, single-family, one um, detached zoning district in a 28X heightened bulk district. Constructed in 1820, the property is a potential historic resource. The permit is to legalize the deck and stairs at the rear of the property that was previously constructed without the benefits of a permit. To comply with the planning code, the deck and stairs will need to be modified from its current configuration and pulled back three feet from the west side property line. The appellant is the neighbor on Faxton Avenue, west of the subject property. The appellant is concerned about how close the existing deck and stairs are to the shared property line. The appellant is also concerned about the illegal construction of two sheds in the required rear yard. These sheds are each well over 100 square feet in size and more than eight feet in height. Seeing there is no corrective action taken to date to address the illegal construction of the two sheds, the violation on the property is um, still outstanding. In a recent phone call with the project architect, planning staff informed him that the, there's a need to file a rear yard variance if the owner wishes to legalize the sheds as constructed. But if the owner wishes to reduce the size of the, of the sheds to no more than 100 square feet, um, as well as reduce the height of the sheds to no more than eight feet, then a rear yard variance would not be required. It's important to note that there's no limit to the number of sheds one can have in the required rear yard. However, there's a combined square footage maximum of 100 square feet and a height of eight feet as measured to the existing grade. In other words, you can have two sheds that are 100 square feet each. The combined square footage of any number of sheds would have to be no more than 100 square feet collectively, otherwise a rear yard variance is required. Given that this permit before you does 
partially address the violation that was issued by DBI for illegal construction on the property. The planning department is recommending that you deny the appeal and uphold the issuance of the permit. Because the, the sheds are of great concern to the appellant, I want to um, reiterate here at the hearing to the project architect that the, correct, that the corrective action is still needed for the sheds. The planning department will open an enforcement case and take enforcement action if there's no abatement regarding the sheds. That concludes my presentation. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you. We have questions from President Swig and Commissioner Lumberg. Thank you for your clarification on the sheds. I was trying to fig <clears throat> figure out how they fit into this construction permit. Um, so as, as I, I requested by showing the, the, uh, uh, the image of the, of the plan, uh, there's, there seems to be an initiative to correct the size of uh, the deck and make it appropriately um, appropriate and legal. Um, there were two references that were uh, made by the appellant, uh, appellant's representative that, that uh, talked about two other things that um, he was not able to include in his presentation or in, uh, in his brief. What are, what are those two things and how do we wrap that into what we're going to do tonight or should we not worry because uh, if we if we deny the appeal uh, will they be taken care of so what are, first of all what are, what are the two things I believe the two things have to do with the sheds themselves okay. um, I'm just gonna put up the overhead again yeah maybe to help refresh everyone's memory mm -hmm. um, this is the deck and stairs um, it's proposed to be modified pull back in three feet from the side property line that complies with code, um, and it's something that we can approve over the counter. Um, what I believe the appellant is still very much concerned with are these two sheds. These sheds are pretty big. I think one of them is 230 square feet, and the second one in the back is 164, well over the collective total of 100. And if, if that is something that remains, a variance is required, and approval from the ZA for the variance is required. Um, absent of that, you need to remove it. So, so there's nothing else on the deck. The deck, let's take them one at a time. The deck with the, the new plans and the corrective action passes muster for you and, and, and seems to uh, satisfy the questions raised by the neighbor. I believe so. DBI, DBI may have some further clarification they want to make, mm -hmm. and I'll let Mr. Matt Green do that. Okay. And then, separate to the deck, are these two um, additions to, that have appeared from the moon that landed in the backyard that are <coughs> oversized. I'm being sarcastic. I'm sorry. <coughs> but... Um, yeah, just to reiterate, we've seen several of, of these situations in, in the past, and 100, 100 square feet is it, and a, uh, as you detailed. So there's, there's the, the, um, different from things that we've seen in the past, uh, what, uh, what, is, what is the, if we, we were to deny the appeal, which means that the deck goes forward, and then at this point, those sheds stay. Um, 
what's your steps to to get those sheds out of there because they are clearly not even close not i mean not even close uh so how what are the steps to ensure that the neighbor is protected uh to get those sheds uh appropriately downsized to get to 100 square feet and, and with a proper height thank you that's a great question so our enforcement process and planning which is not exactly the same as in, in DBI. Um, we will go ahead and reach out to the owner, property owner. They are the responsible party um, for, for bringing correction to their property um, to inform them they have 15 days to file um, a permit. Permit to either remove, permit to either reduce the size to no more than 100 for both collectively or file a variance to legalize anything larger than 100 square feet or taller than eight feet in height. If nothing is filed, we move on to the next enforcement action, which is a notice of violation. And with that comes with penalties, penalties of $250 a day for every day you're out of compliance. And, and we keep, keep going. And what, um, what would you recommend today, <clears throat> unless you're going to file for a variance and try to get something which probably isn't very realistic, um, a variance on, I mean, let's start with neighborhood character and just advancing thought here. Uh, neighborhood character, those aren't, there aren't any other sheds probably in the rest of the neighborhood. So just on, you know, on the neighborhood character item, eh, there ain't gonna be a, a variance. So what would you recommend that the individual uh, property owner do today uh, to mitigate a whole bunch of pain for, for the department, for themselves, and for the neighbor with those two uh, structures? Remove them. Just remove them. Okay. All right. But you would recommend that we, uh, we deny the appeal and let you take the action um, and in our conversation today offer some constructive suggestion to the, the property owner. Okay. Right. Thank you. Who's next, Mr. Lindberg? Um, just Sorry. a little bit of more clarification on that. So this this permit was pulled in response to an NOV, presumably by a, filed by a neighbor or something like that. But it only addresses the deck, and so and there was no requirement. I guess my question is: there's there was no requirement for them to also pull permits for the uh, for the sheds, either to remove them or to do the variance at this time in response to this NOV. Thank you. There is a requirement. It's outlined in the NOV. It says oh. to go ahead and file the appropriate permits with planning. Okay. They didn't do it. I they see. only did partially just the deck and stairs at this, at this time. I see. I, you know, we can certainly ask the project architect what the plans are to, to kind of file the permits for the sheds, but when I spoke with him last week, he couldn't give me a definitive answer. I understand. I don't think we have the um, actual NOV in, the, in our materials. But we never received it. Okay, um, which is, I guess, why I didn't but, know the answer to that yeah. question. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. We will now hear from DBI. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Matthew Green, representing the Department of Building, Ins Building Inspection tonight. 
Um, I'd like to clarify that our uh, building inspector did go out there, actually a housing inspector, went out there in July and wrote a notice of violation for the two structures being built in the rear. He did not address, the notice of violation did not address the rear deck. Um, would you like me to put this on the overhead? Alec, can you help him zoom out a bit, please? Thank you. So you see the language of the, the language of the notice of violation. Uh, the actual violation is constructing multiple structures at the rear yard of the property. Each of these structures roof area exceeds 100 square feet, and these structure heights exceeds eight feet high. And then he was given the corrective action to either uh, legalize or remove these structures with um, a building permit and planning department approval. I also have uh, pictures of the two structures I'd like to show you. So you can see that there's the, this one structure where we've already seen a picture of, it was under construction at the time. Um, it's about 100 and, uh, 230 square feet, I believe. And there's also a greenhouse at the back here that was built without permit. So th those two structures are the um, uh, subject of our notice of violation. Uh, this picture here is the picture of the deck as it is today. It, it was built without permits. Um, I don't know why, I can't explain why our, our building inspector didn't uh, address this in his notice of violation at the time. But it was built without permit. It does need to be legalized. And the plans as they're submitted today they do bring the deck into compliance. Um, my recommendation, if it's within your purview, is to uphold this building permit with the condition that all language to address the notice of violation be stricken from the description, because it, it does not comply with the notice of violation. We've, um, since it doesn't comply with the notice of violation, we've moved this notice of violation onto the next step of our uh, code enforcement process, and there will be a director's hearing scheduled within the, uh, within the month. I'm available for any questions you may have. Okay, thank you. I, I feel like now I'm a little bit more confused. Um, so an NOV was issued, and that NOV, now that we've seen it, said that it was addressing the, the two sheds in the backyard. Um, how did this permit get approved when it doesn't address the sheds but does address the deck which wasn't addressed in the NOV, uh, but the, clearly the permit itself says in response to NOV number, et cetera. Uh, I, I agree with you that, that that's a mistake. That's why I'm recommending you uphold this permit, but strike that language because it does not comply with this notice of violation. That, we, we did make a mistake when we approved that language. Okay, so the, the good result would be to uphold the permit itself, the, the scope of the permit, the work of the permit, because obviously that does need to get done. Um, but to just strike the language saying in response to NOV number? I, I think that's the best solution. Okay. Uh, the deck does need to be uh, reduced in size. This is a permit to reduce the size. Um, they are going to need another building permit to address the decks, sorry, to address the two structures in the rear. Um, there, there will be the um, uh, penalty attached to that on the permit fees that was not attached on this. Um, as I said, we've to ensure that they do this, we've uh, forwarded the notice of violation onto the next step of the code enforcement process. Okay, thank you. Okay, President Swig. 
And uh, I already got my answer out of uh, Ms. Chang, but um, you have anything else to add is, is her answer with regard to immediately there'll be a NOV filed regarding the, the two buildings that don't belong there. And do you have anything to add? Is that, is that it? Or does DBI do anything about this? Uh, well, they'll have their notice of violation. We mm -hmm. already have our um, notice of violation. We're moving it forward. Okay, and that that, that but that hasn't been done yet. But you're going to do that, and the same the so same we, question. We've, got, we, we've already moved it. It's it's in the scheduling process. Okay, right. And then um, the the same thing. Do you have any advice? Uh, so what what would what will happen when the NOV gets filed and and presented? Their options will be the same as what. Uh, yeah, correct, yeah. was brought forward and your advice at, at, in today's hearing if you were passing good advice on to somebody who had this situation uh, would, be, would be what to do with these two buildings as they stand today so they don't have to go through unnecessary pain. I, I think the easiest and quickest process would be to remove the both structures. Yeah, okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you. We will now move on to public comment. Is there any public comment on this case? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any public comment, so we'll move on to rebuttal. Mr. Lee, you have three minutes to address the board. Okay, uh, thank you all the uh, uh, board uh, member. Uh, yeah, uh, this, uh, um, just let me explain that, uh, what happened to that. The debt actually built around uh, 2018 or 2019, uh, but I don't know. Uh, they rebuild it on that time. I don't know. There's no permit, so I never get issue too many issue about that. Uh, so, uh, until the, they build up the, the huge shell, so I starting the question up and then uh, then call the DBI. So then why they don't have any uh, record when the uh, when the uh, inspector come out to look at that uh, they didn't mention that. So until I receive the permit. I saw the debt inside, <laughs> include that, then I got like a shot. I thought that they want to legalize the debt, so I also raised the concern. Uh, so, but uh, today, uh, thank you guys. Uh, uh, yeah, look at my case, and then uh, I, I very appreciate you, uh, for you guys' uh, uh, work. Uh, and thank you. Okay, thank you. President Swick? Sure. Uh, Mr. Lee, I want to make sure that you're, you're comfortable. Uh, are you comfortable with the new plans that take care of everything that you have requested on the deck? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Thank and you. are you understanding that those two structures that you see in your backyard today will be uh, will most likely be reduced uh, in size or disappear? Uh, yes. Okay. I just want to make you. sure you you uh, are clear on that and. Maybe some of your, your concerns will go away. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. We will now hear from the permit holders agent. Mr. Duque, you have three minutes. Thank you. Well, well all I can speak to um, the concerns that um, brought forth is that um, I feel a little... feel bothered that we have three points in Mr. Lee's document, two of being about the deck and one of being about a, um, you know, the structure is too big and come into his, screen, into his yard and stuff like that. 
Um, however, it doesn't seem to be the principal core issue that he's actually dealing with. He's dealing with the sheds. Now, there was a question like, why do we deal with the deck first? The reason why is that when the inspector went out, he spoke to the owners about the deck and the sheds. And he says, if you don't, you have to take care of the sheds and then we'll come back for the deck. That was like something that they agreed to or they talked about. So the owner was, okay, we gotta take care of the deck because that's easy. We don't know what we're gonna do with the sheds. Um, but the decision was made to remove them. And I have my submittal here that I tried to put in there and try to get them removed. And that was our decision to move forward with this. So that's already going to, well, we can't do it now because this has stopped the whole process. We can't do any kind of new permit on the property. But that is our next step. We had agreed that we were going to remove the, the two sheds that were in the back. So that's all I can really speak to. I mean, we're doing exactly what's being asked for and what I'm hearing. Um, so I don't know what else I can add to this. But thank you. If there are any questions. Just for clarification, uh, it seems that there's no problems w with the deck as you've presented them based on the testimony from DBI and based on, on planning, so we can put that aside. Are you, are you clear that we can put the deck aside because yes, now, the, there's not an issue there? What's going to be the issue is the two uh, sheds, and what I would recommend um, uh, is that you uh, talk uh, with planning tonight okay. and, and introduce each other and uh, work out a situation so they don't probably have to f look forward to uh, uh, an NOV with you and some unnecessary s scramble. Um, okay. So are you clear that mo the, there's, uh, are you clear of, of what the process might be, which is to file a, a variance that probably, based on my experience sitting on this panel a few years, probably won't satisfy the, the variance standards. So are you clear on that? Understood. Yeah, and so are you, would you please uh, introduce yourself to planning after the after the hearing, and I think you'll you'll resolve your 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 issue yes. most expediently. Yes, absolutely. Tina's uh, willing to meet with me. Okay, thanks. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now hear from the planning department. Anything further? Department of Building Inspection. Just. A suggestion in order to streamline the process since the NOV is already referenced in the permit can't we just add language to say removal the sheds since he said he intended to remove them anyway then they wouldn't have to apply for one and go through whatever, whatever is appropriate and whatever one of my fellow commissioners wants to move forward as an as a motion so anybody want to start with a motion and right. then um, Ms. Rosenberg will uh, yeah. Make really good suggestions. I promise. Yeah. And with yeah. with the uh, advice of Mr. Givner. Okay, I do believe uh, DBI would like to address the board. Okay. So, thank you. Thanks. No, go. Um, my only comment is that if you put that language there, the the plans, the uh, approved plans, do show existing sheds to be oh, okay. utilized under separate permit. So, would you want them to submit separate? you know, new pages for the approved plans? Yeah, I mean, I guess we, they could, we could grant the appeal and issue the permit on the condition to be revised to require um, a revised set of plans showing the removal of the sheds and including language which um, allows for the removal of the sheds. Which is easiest for you guys? Let's, let's move it forward as I want to, I'm trying to make it um, efficient for both parties that, you know. 
Yeah, I would like to, on the condition that they submit um, um, uh, altered plans showing the removal of the, the sheds. And should we add also language to the permit? Yes, please. Okay. Okay, so commissioners, this matter submitted. Would like to make a motion or make any comments on this subject? Go ahead, Alex, push that button. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm comfortable with with Julie's idea. I think that makes sense to just add it in there, assuming the property owner is okay with that. I mean, it sounds like that's what the property owner was intending to do anyway. Um, so I don't see any harm in doing that. Um, I so. Did you want to check with the agent for the property owner? Yeah, I mean, is is that is would that solution? Oops, sorry, uh, would that solution be acceptable to you? Uh, adding the removal of the sheds to the permit. Um, yes, I think that's fine. I think um, the only clarity I would need is: Do I resubmit under the original permit and just do a revision? Since it's already been issued, I don't. I, in my experience, I found that that's kind of difficult to do. You usually have to do a follow-up permit. Yeah, you would submit revised plans and bring them into my office and. Um, Mr. Green and I will review the plans okay. and stamp them, and then you'll get what's issued, what's called a special conditions permit, and then you can move forward. Okay. I guess that's fine. And then you don't have to okay. refile. And the minutes will like give me like the time scale and everything when I have to get the stuff submitted to you? Pardon? There'll be like um, indications like the time scale, like I have to get it a few within two days or five days or whenever. I mean, it, that's up to DBI. I don't know when they would want the plan. Okay plans by when when I would just remind the um, agent that we do have an active notice of violation that's going to be moving forward so if they dawdle they'll be so should we set a time frame uh, sure it could be 30 but days if they can bring it in within 30 days and if they don't submit them within 30 days then what the hearing will go forward our director's hearing will go forward okay Okay. And then I'd just like to clarify the only changes are going to be removal of the sheds okay. on, on the new plans. Correct. I mean, if, if, you, think it's, you, after the if you think it's simpler for him to just get a separate permit for the removal of the sheds, we can remove the language of the NOV. Yeah. And then you could go forward. I'm sorry to me to complicate I, I actually it. do think that'd be much simpler. Just, okay. Yeah. Sorry, just making a suggestion. So, Okay, so... Sure. I, I, I move to grant the appeal uh, on the basis that the permit was not properly issued uh, and uphold the substance of the permit, uh, but remove the language. Uh, sorry, my computer just turned off. Remove the language in the permit that says in response to NOV 20229 Okay, I might suggest some a little modification to that Please. But, um, grant the appeal and issue the permit on the condition that it be revised to require the deletion of the reference to NOV number 20229465 on the basis that the NOV applies to the illegal sheds in the yard not the illegal deck is that okay yes that's okay right. <laughs> so uh, on that motion vice president lopez aye commissioner trasvina Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries five to zero.
Thank you. And the appeal is granted with that condition. So um, you're free to leave. Thank you. We are now moving on to item number five. This is appeal number 22-077, I'm sorry, 007, Robert Scrack versus Municipal Transportation Agency. Appealing the issuance on February 1st, 2022 to Robert Scrack of the Statement of Decision, SFMTA versus Robert Scrack. Robert Scrack does not have a current California driver's license or an A-card. The Taxi and Accessible Services Notice of Non-Renewal is upheld and medallion number 878 is revoked by the explicit operation of the provisions of the San Francisco Transportation Transportation Code. This is medallion number 878 for further consideration. Note on April 13th, 2022, upon motion by Commissioner Lopez, the board voted three to one to one, Vice President Lazarus dissented and President Swig absent to grant the appeal and overturn the determination on the basis that the SFMTA is equitably stopped from revoking the medallion because Mr. Scrack reasonably relied on conversations with SFMTA managers and representatives who advised him that he had a waiver of the full-time driving requirement, he should not sell his medallion. Further allowing him to keep his medallion is necessary to avoid a grave injustice. It would not defeat a strong public policy, would not create any safety issues for the public. Lacking four votes needed to pass, the motion failed. Upon motion by Commissioner Honda, the board voted three to one to one. Vice President Lazarus absent and President Swig dissented and President Swig absent to continue this matter. The board's called the chair for one year on the basis that the MTA may enact legislation that would give Mr. Scrack the opportunity to sell his medallion. On May 9, 2022, President Swig recalled this item from the call of the chair and placed it on the board's July 20, 2022 calendar. On June 14th, 2022, the matter was rescheduled to November 16, 2022. Um, as a preliminary matter, Commissioners Trevina, Lemberg, and Epler, did you have the opportunity to review the videos and materials for the hearing which took place on April 13, 2022? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay, thank you. So we will hear first from the MTA. Uh, you have three minutes to address the board, Mr. Crana given that this matter was uh, continued to Am see. Am I not the, res the respondent? I'm not the appellant. Right. Um, well, it was continued to, on the basis that the MTA may enact legislation that would give Mr. Scrack the opportunity to sell his medallion. Okay. So you can explain if there's been any developments to that end. No, there have not. Um, the MTA's position remains the same, and that is that the Transportation Code requires that post-K medallion holders, which is the medallion before you tonight, 878, is a post-K medallion holder, these medallion holders are subject to the full-time driving requirement. And as such, all medallion holders who are subject to the full driving requirement must maintain a driver permit, which we call an A-card. Uh, the appellant has admitted that he does not have a current A-card, and therefore um, we request uh, that the appeal be denied. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from Ms. Machen. She's the attorney for the appellant, Mr. Scrack. Well, welcome, Ms. Machen. Julie, is there an opportunity to ask Oh, yes, questions? I'm sorry, I didn't see your name. Um, Commissioner Trezvina has a question. Sure. Uh, in, in the six months since this last came before us, has the uh, city done taken any efforts to address any of the concerns that have been expressed here? No. The, as far as legislation, no. But there have been industry-wide changes. There has been uh, the third-party pilot, um, which allows... Um, upfront fair pilot, I should call it. So there, there have been changes industry-wide, but nothing specifically uh, addressing or changing the rules that require that uh, any post-K medallion holders need to maintain uh, an A-card or driver permit. Okay. I, I and two of my colleagues are new uh, to this 
matter as members of, of the commission. So um, I have some questions. Uh, my impression, looking at the videos and reading the voluminous uh, written materials, uh, was that the intent of this body was to give the city some time to explore further action. Or, and, uh, and that might lead to a change in the value of medallions, among other things. I'm, are you telling me that the city hasn't done anything in response to that? Well, to the Board of Appeals, okay, so the MTA has exclusive jurisdiction over policy related to taxis and taxi medallions and taxi drivers, all permits. So there have been changes, but those impact the industry, not just particularly this particular class of medallions. So there have been changes, but not specifically addressing the request of the post-K medallion holders to eliminate the full-time driver requirement, no. Thank you. Sure. Okay, Commissioner Epler. Since, since you mentioned changes, can you please explain whether they have any um, um, application to the case before us right now or not? I don't think they do. Um, I can briefly just, in sum, um, prior to the start of the pilot, which began on November 1st, uh, all taxi trips required the, the cost or the fare to be calculated based upon a taxi meter, which meant flag drop, flag raise. So point A to point B, that's the fare. This change allows uh, taxi apps to forecast, similar to TNCs or other ride hails, to forecast based upon your destination, and the passenger can pre-book that. And then additionally, there's also the prospect of allowing third parties, in this case Uber passengers, to be picked up by a taxi. And again, this doesn't really apply today to the post case. It applies to the industry as a whole. No, but, but nothing nothing applicable to, to the case before us. Understood. Correct. Thank you. Sure. President Swig? Yes. Um, as the only witness to the on this panel to all of the cases and previous, um, I, I want to get your confirmation to give some peace to Mr. Trisvina. Um, it was it was my view that this action was postponed because and it, because of further action by the MTA, correct? A potential further action by the MTA. Uh, my recollection was. Uh, Former Commissioner Hotta wanted to continue it in perpetuity, uh, and then this was, I believe, a compromise uh, position. Right, um, but but the the spirit of that was there was the potential that the MTA was going to um, take an action that might provide a um, um, some relief to the. Um, to the appellants in this case. Right, what was pending at that time was the approval of the upfront fare, uh, and it did take us some time to develop those rules, you know, data, all sorts of things, and that's why it launched on November 1st. That was the effort that was undergoing to hopefully, in our hope, is to increase the business to the taxi industry as a whole, right. uh, therefore leading to medallion health. Right, and so, the, so in, in my view, and I wanna know if you share that view, um, uh, we were, by, by uh, the imperpetuity part was probably improper as we've gone back and reviewed what is appropriate with the call of a chair. 
my my review of that call, the chair made it. Uh, I don't want to say legalized it, but legalized it because it had to be tied to a specific date to be resolved. So that's why that happened. And but um, was it your was it your view that why we did why President Honda in the first place did that was to give one last opportunity for the city to uh, provide some action which might give further relief to these uh, the, the people involved in these cases. Yeah, that's a yes or no. Uh, no. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't your view that? No. We, what was your view that why we, why we push this thing forward? To, to allow, for, again, for the industry because there, this rule was enacted by the voters in 1978 and it is codified yeah. uh, in, in so there isn't there hasn't been any contemplation to eliminate the full-time driver requirement or to change the rule that a cards are required by these so these medallions don't have loans there are class medallions that have loans uh. and that's why the the targeted effort by the agency has been to improve the health of the industry as a whole to get more business for everybody not just specific to post case here so in in this case, uh, with that answer, it's your view that um, we probably shouldn't, nothing was going to happen anyway, so we shouldn't have um, pushed this uh, uh, delayed action on this on this case to this point because nothing was going to happen most likely, and nothing did happen. Right. Right. Okay. That's fine. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue any any side I just want cl better clarity for the for the panelists here today who weren't involved in the, mm -hmm. the initial hearings yes. tonight thank you mr. Trevino uh, thank you president Swig. as as long as you're now getting into the history of taxi legislation and going back to 1978 and proposition K uh, has the Taxi Commission uh, at, uh, at any point uh, considered the, uh, has the Taxi Commission changed the 1978 requirement of an intent to drive? Has they cha have they changed for that at all? No, and through, the chronology is the police regulated taxis prior to 1978 and after. Proposition K was passed in 1978, which changed the way that medallions were, were held. Prior to 1978, you could hold multiples. Uh, you didn't need to drive. Uh, there, there was a, not to muddy the waters too much, but there was also the possibility of, of having corp, uh, incorporating your medallion. So there were also corporations, and those have a separate set of rules. Right. Between 1970, 1978 and 2010, all medallions in San Francisco, all taxi medallions in San Francisco were subject to the full-time driver requirement, 800 hours. In between that, circa 1998, the Taxi Commission was created, and they regulated the medallions in much the same manner as the police until the creation of the MTA, circa 2009, I believe, it, it, taxis came over to MTA. That rule is still codified in the Transportation Code today. That any medallions, and I, I could cite it, but any medallion issued between June 1978 and I think June 2010 is subject to the full-time driver requirement. It's my, my understanding that the language was intent to drive and it morphed into you have to drive. 
Is that an incorrect? I believe it was litigated both in Sloan and then also. Um, I'm just asking you: is that is has the intent to drive gone to a requirement to drive? Yes, actively operate a taxi. Okay, and I think you stated that there have been no changes to that over the over the period the, the full-time driver requirement. I think in the ways that the full-time driving was defined, there may have been some changes in that, such as shifts in, in, in there in how it's calculated, but the, the full-time driving requirement has been a rule ever since. And the alternative way for the, uh, the, the key executives, to the key personnel, to uh, meet it? Well, that's also an exception, yes. Right, so yes. there have been exceptions. Correct. And has there ever been an exception made or consideration made for those with permanent disabilities? No. It, that, I believe, was Sloan. So, so is there a policy for those with permanent disabilities today? No. And that could have been something that the commission could have explored in the last six months, couldn't it? Hypothetically, yes. Okay. But it, it's, the policy is only for temporary, and it's only three calendar years for any single condition. And it's, it's, I believe it's part of this record, or actually it's not. It's... Right, so, th so there is a temporary policy, Correct. but there's not a permanent. No. Okay. But it could have been brought and considered by the MTA as one of the things that could have been done over the last six months. It could have. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the attorney for the appellant. Ms. Machen, welcome. You have three minutes. Good evening, Commissioners. Heidi Machen. I am here to represent Robert Scrack. And I just wanted to briefly go back through the procedural background on this. So on April the 3rd, I mean, on the 13th, 2022, the item was continued to the call of the chair. And that was continued actually to the call of the chair for uh, not for in perpetuity, um, but rather for one year on the basis that SFMTA may enact legislation that would give Mr. Scrack the opportunity to sell his medallion. Uh, a short three months later, the item was then calendared to the July 20th meeting. And then for efficiency, it was continued to tonight so it could be heard with the Cortesos and Horbell appeals. Mr. Scrack's argument actually relies heavily on equitable estoppel. In fact, three members of this board in its previous composition, including Commissioner Lopez, agreed that SFMTA should be stopped from revoking Mr. Scrack because he relied on advice from staff to his detriment. So to be specific, in 2012, SFMTA staff told Mr. Scrack that he could remain a medallion holder for the rest of his life with no driving requirement in exchange for forfeiting his right to sell the medallion at that time for $200,000. In 2015, staff advised Mr. Strack that it was okay to stop renewing his A card and his California driver's license so long as he was not driving because of his disabilities. And it's important to say disabilities here because you know, you are under MTA policy allowed three years of exemption for each 
condition that you have. So if Mr. Scrack, for instance, had multiple disabilities, he could, in theory, get three years for each of those. Now, in a 180-degree turnabout, SFMTA seeks to revoke Mr. Scrack for not having the active aid cart and driver's license that they previously told him that he could allow to have laps. So, like Mr. Corbell and Cortesos, who will be heard later, Mr. Scrack also deserves consideration for decades of service as an adult holder. And the April continuance anticipated changes to legislation. That has now happened. The one-year pilot program that started on November 9th gives taxis access to Uber customers and also authorizes three e-hail apps. That will increase the value of the medallion in theory. Thank you. That's time. SFMTA website says about the program. Okay, thank you. Miss Machen, your time is up. Oh, I don't have 30 minutes? You have three minutes, and your your time is up, but you do have a question from Commissioner Trezvina, so please go ahead. Thank you. Um, you. You have repeatedly raised the issue of equitable estoppel. Uh, the uh, city attorney has raised the city of Goleta case as the way for us to consider equitable estoppel. And under city of Goleta, according to the city attorney, equi uh, or, or the, the, the uh, ex city attorney through the uh, commission, equitable estoppel will not apply against a governmental body except in unusual, unusual instances when necessary to avoid grave injustice and when the result will not defeat a strong public policy. Now, while I am new here, I kind of consider this to be an, an unusual instance. I'm wondering whether you could, where, how you can describe the, oh, whether this avoids grave injustice and what the grave injustice is to Mr. Scrack uh, that we should be considering as we look at the equitable estoppel issue. Commissioner, thank you for the question. That was almost exactly the wording of the previous um, the previous motion from this board to allow Mr. Scrack to keep his medallion on the basis of equitable estoppel, which three commissioners agreed with. And the grave injustice that would happen here is that this is a man who has been a part of the industry for decades. And he was disabled. And then he is being basically thrown out. Um, as well, there's a grave injustice in that taxi medallion holders or any permit holder really should be able to reasonably rely on advice from staff to navigate the sometimes very complex rules and regulations. And Mr. Scrack did rely on that advice to his detriment by not taking the $200,000 option that would have allowed him to sell his medallion at the time. Now, in the interim, those medallions have become virtually worthless. No one wants to buy one because the, you know, the Uber and et cetera are, have edged out taxis. So um, that is the grave injustice that would occur 
should this board not vote to um, to overturn SFMTA's decision and allow Mr. Scrack to keep his medallion? Thank you. Okay, thank you. So, uh, Vice President Lopez. Thank you. Uh, Councilor, I'd like to ask a related question uh, as, it, as it relates to the, the pilot program. Does, does the launch of, of this program uh, affect, from your perspective, does it affect uh, your characterization of a grave injustice, the potential, uh, I think, uh, as your time was coming to a close, I think you were getting at, uh, you know, it being too too soon to tell. But I'd like to 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 kind of give you some some space to address uh, whether the existence of the program, from your perspective, kind of changes the the grave injustice calculation here. Um, thank you for that question, Commissioner Lopez. Um, in fact, it, it does add to this being a grave injustice in that this very board wanted MTA to have an opportunity to enact some kind of legislation that would make these medallions potentially more valuable. And by making the medallion more valuable, in other words, like MTA says in its own website, um, we believe it will increase business for the local taxi industry. Thus, in this case, Mr. Scrack might be able to someday reap that retirement benefit that he passed up in 2012. Um, so in, in the interim, and, and, and him qualifying for the disability policy, which I assure you is still alive and going at MTA on three-year increments, um, Mr. Scrack should be allowed to continue to hang in there and see if, in fact, his medallion does provide him with some sort of retirement benefit. And um, as well, I think this is not the be-all, end-all for what SFMTA intends to do to provide for disabled medallion holders. Um, I was not at the meeting last night, but I understand that one of the commissioners, Commissioner Borden, directed staff to, in fact, look at a way to help the disabled medallion holders and to consider the tenure that they've had in the industry. When someone's had 30 or 40 years of tenure in the industry, such as Mr. Scrack has, then the MTA board, at least, at least by one of their commissioners, is interested at looking how MTA could potentially help those medallion holders to gracefully exit the industry and have something more than just their memories. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We're now moving on to public comment. Is there anyone in the room who would like to provide public comment? Okay, please approach the microphone. We'll hear from people in the room first, and then we'll move on to the Zoom attendees. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm not going to be able to do this in three minutes, but I'm going to have three or four times to respond to this. The first thing is, I was offered the opportunity of selling my medallion at the same time at 
and I refused. And I refused for a different reason, because I believed that I would make more money in the future. So, very similar. However, after the pilot program ended, they started a full-time sales program. And immediately, they started cheating on this. Who cheated? The MTA. They were so anxious to sell medallions that instead of selling medallions just from K medallion holders, they actually allowed other people, which were the pre-Ks, which they had prohibited from driving, I'm sorry, from selling, to also sell their medallions. And this went on till early 2015 to slightly more, maybe into 2014. And what happened then was Uber really started cutting down on the business. And nobody wanted to buy medallions, or very few people wanted to buy medallions. So instead of allowing us to sell whatever we could, they blocked the list that we were on. We had a list in order of who could sell medallions and started only to sell medallions of P medallions, the new medallions for $250,000. And they started accepting a few of people who had cold feet. 30 seconds. And they resold those medallions. Later on, by 2015, there were no more medallions sold. So I have been sitting on a list since then. I am now 83. I still have a driver's license, but I'm afraid of driving because taxi driving is a multi-purpose thing. You're driving, Thank you're doing you. many other things. I will continue okay. in the next thing unless you have an answer. You Thank have you. a question. Thank you. No Thank questions. You. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Carl McMurdo, career taxi driver. And first thing I want to do is thank Commissioner Lopez and especially President Swig for showing the compassion to continue this item. You got just the right amount of votes to continue it. Um, the basis for the continuous has to do with whether the Uber taxi pilot program might bring value back to the medallion. And there were unexpected delays. The upfront pricing thing went forward, but it's only seven days ago that this launched. So I think at a minimum, you might consider it a, a continuance because it, that's the same basis. Um, let's see. Uh, so I want to explain. Um, I do think equitable estoppel and detrimental reliance apply. The difference between two types of permits which the MTA is conflating and has conflated for 
45 years. This is the A card, the taxi driver license. This is a driving permit. And of course, you would have to have a California driver's license to have one. This is the business operating permit. And these people, like myself, committed our lives to obtaining one to have some income in our older age at the exclusion of taking a different occupational path. And there's no nexus, there's no logical reason why an elderly person who's disabled and cannot obtain one should lose his permit because this, the taxi companies work with the permit holders, medallion holders, to keep the taxi serving the public. And it was issued under PCNN process when the city needed more cabs to serve the public. Um, there's been a series of misinterpretations, but the biggest one, the city attorney's office is digging in their heels like it's the Holy Grail and won't back off, and it's just gotten worse But over the years. But in 1988, it was codified into the uh, police code, which is now transportation code, that swearing the intention to drive got transubstantiated into a essentially sacrosanct, never-ending driving requirement that follows the medallion holder of the grave. It's very dangerous. And then 1990, when ADA came out, to circumvent that, the agency, city attorney's office, really, uh, put in a false essential eligibility requirement. Um, so I, I want to skip to a couple of other things. I want to appreciate, I really appreciate the question about the key personnel. Shows how much reading and research. You guys take a tremendous burden to look at all the tapes. But the key personnel uh, item shows that an able-bodied person can, can kind of double dip. They don't have the driving requirement, whereas you they take away the medallion from people thank in a wheelchair. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Thank you, Mark Gruberg. Um, I'm with the San Francisco Taxi Workers Alliance. I'm an active cab driver, and I'm also a K medallion holder. Um, I, I want to discuss this appeal uh, in the light of the next two that you're going to be hearing, because they are intertwined in, in various ways. Um, I, I, you may be aware that in those next two appeals, the hearing officer um, issued decisions in favor of the drivers. Uh, he later withdrew those decisions and reversed them in favor of the MTA. Those initial decisions were final decisions. All the procedural requirements for finality uh, were met. There is no provision in the code that allowed for them to be revisited. Uh, I believe that doing so was a violation of due process and equal protection of the law. Uh, now, why did that hearing officer reverse himself? It seems clear that he must have been pressured uh, to do so. He didn't wake up in the middle of the night and say, boy, I really made a mistake when I decided in favor of these disabled medallion holders on equitable grounds. That, that didn't happen. The, the, the pressure that was applied has contaminated and tainted every subsequent taxi medallion hearing. If you read the hearing officer's decisions in these cases, they say in so many words that they would have preferred to decide otherwise, but their hands were apparently tied. Uh, so uh, I, I think that that's really an important point for you to consider. And the other point I want to make is that 
I think that the uh, MTA has um, really uh, gone about this um, in a, um, try, I'm trying to find a kind word for it, but um, th they're circumventing the real issue here, which is really uh, uh, an ADA issue. Um, you know, they say, they say simply that it's a, it's a um, formal requirement you have to have an A card, but to have an A card, you have to have a driver's license, and if you're disabled, you can't have a driver's license. And so you can't simply pin this down to the failure to have an A-card. And I know that the ADA issue is complex. 30 one. seconds. Uh, I, I, I know that there's a Sloan case, but there's a lot of water under the bridge since then and changes in the industry. And I really think that to come to grips with this, you need to come to grips with the disability issues. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to speak? No, nope, I see no one. So we are going to the Zoom attendees. Mr. Toronto, you have three minutes. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, good evening. I appreciate you all taking the time to, uh, hear the, to, to listen to these hearings and to weigh all the facts. I want to address the part where they talk about the changes in the industry. First, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Scrap is not making any money from this medallion. So therefore, spending the time to uh, revoke the medallion, and then where would the medallion sit? What would happen to the medallion? The company will not be able to operate it, and so a driver's, a driver's out of a job, and, um, and the medallion's going to sit in a drawer. Okay, it's going to sit in a drawer. You should see all the abandoned cabs sitting at the uh, yellow cab. You should see those rows and rows of unused vehicle, of, of vehicles not being operated at the moment because medallions were revoked. Where the ones that were not continued uh, uh, to have a permit, uh, where are those medallions? They're sitting in a drawer because the sales program is kaput. Uh, they think they can revive it. Okay, maybe they can revive it, but not for 250000 not for $125,000. you got to be kidding. So, so uh, and another part of it is this Uber and Lyft Uber deal, we don't know how much they're going to take out from the fares from the, that the passenger pays. We don't know if the drivers are going to make any money. I refuse to participate. But the thing is, is that there's still people love taking out their phones even before they leave a venue or a performance and already order an Uber or Lyft. So, so, even, so even the purchase medallions don't hold value, and the K medallions are useless because you're sitting there at night twirling your thumbs and staring at the people while they're waiting for 20 to 30 minutes for an Uber or Lyft. So the, so the thing is to, to, to actually take MTA to take this action, rather than spending more time on keeping our cab stands clear and promoting the taxi industry at a major events, has become ludicrous. I was in favor of, of revoking medallions before, but these medallions are only good to make sure that there actually could, are vehicles available for, for drivers because there is no value in revoking a medallion at this point. The only value is, is to take away a job for drivers who may need it. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from Marcelo Fonseca. Please go ahead, sir. You have three minutes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Um, 
My name is Marcelo Fonseca. I started driving a taxi in early 1989. 20 years later, I earned a K medallion, uh, a prop K medallion. And um, I'm camera shy. I struggle with public speaking, and I'm going through a second language. So please bear with me. Um, medallion applicants, such as myself, who acquired our permits through Proposition K of 1978, we swore an intent to drive, to drive. There was nothing in the language of this 44-year-old proposition saying that permit holders had to drive until they dropped dead behind the wheel. There's nothing there that says that. This driving requirement is questionable. A taxi medallion is a business operating permit, not a driving permit. And regarding this driver's license requirement to renew a medallion, it has been said by MTA staff right here in this meetings that it was added to the transportation code in 2016. And just so you know, 2016 was the year the medallion sales program failed. Not a single medallion has been sold since April of 2016. Now that there is this pilot program, this partnership with Uber, between Uber and taxis, there is hope the medallion value will bounce back. But for this program to be successful, we need a proper number of cabs to meet the demand. Uh, if you allow the MTA to revoke Mr. Scrack's medallion, you will be downsizing the fleet and jeopardizing the industry's success. Even though Mr. Scrack cannot obtain a driver's license, he can lease his cab, his medallion, to be operated by a younger licensed cab driver. If you allow Mr. Sprague to keep his medallion, justice and the riding public will be served. I hope you will consider that. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from the caller whose phone number ends in 1954. Please go ahead. You may need to press star six to unmute yourself. One nine five four. Hello. Yes, I can hear Hello? you. Yes. Hi. Uh, yes. Uh, my my name is Dennis Corcus. I've I've been uh, driving for over four decades. Um, I just want want to make a couple of points very clear here. Uh, the sales program, uh, which happened uh, about a decade ago, was in part. Um, to give older and disabled medallion holders the opportunity to leave the, the industry. And the, our understanding and agreement with the MTA was that we would, we would sur sur surrender it for consideration. Um, since, um, since Uber and Lyft saturated the streets and basically killed the, the value of the medallion, uh, since 2016, there have been no sales. Um, I suggest, you know, I, I have said this before, and I will say it again, that until the medallion sales program um, gets back in, into effect, that they should just leave people who cannot drive 
because they, they are disabled, they should just leave them alone. This, this driving requirement, the A-card thing, it's, it's really something recent. For whatever reason, the, uh, the, the MTA wants, wants to go after what they have referred to as low-hanging fruit, which I really resent that comment uh, to talk about aging and disabled people as low-hanging fruit. Several ye years ago, uh, b before Mr. Mr. Tumlin came, came on, the staff advised several drivers um, that they did not have to renew their A-card when they are, are disabled. Uh, it, it's a, it's a no-brainer. It didn't make sense to have a driving permit when you weren't driving. So the, so the fact that they, that they came up with this, with this uh, ridiculous rule uh, makes no sense. Um, and if you're going to change the wording or the, the language from, um, you know, from the intent to drive to you must drive, then you have to grandfather in all those who signed up and got a medallion when, when, when the language was the intent to drive. If you have any questions, let me know. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the caller whose phone number ends in 1405. Please go ahead. You may need to press star six to unmute yourself. One, oh, go ahead, please, 1405. Can you press star six? Yes, Dirk Nyhart. I'm part of the low hanging fruit after uh, paying for, for an A card for decades. I was disabled, now I'm blind, and as you can hear, talking like the village idiot. But so I cannot drive, I cannot get a driver's license, and I cannot get an A card. But I am certainly capable of paying for an A card. The system will just not permit me to do so. Uh, and I am looking at all disabled people. What class of workers in the city of San Francisco do not have protection for disability? Or if a Muni driver becomes disabled, does he uh, not permitted to sit at the lunch counter or sit somewhere else in the back of the bus or even get on the bus? Uh, MTAA certainly let us down, and in the six months that they have been in charge with finding a disability solution, they have done nothing. They should be in charge with defining a policy before the next meeting. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from Mr. Rathbone. You have three minutes. Mr. Charles Rathbone, please go ahead. Good evening, commissioners or board members. My name is Charles Rathbone. Uh, you have heard that uh, taxi issues are terribly complex, but in fact, they all boil down to exactly the same one issue. They all go back to a single poorly crafted phrase 
in pre-ADA legislation from the 1970s, language regarding our sworn intent to drive. The agency's interpretation of that phrase has led to discriminatory rules that are enforced exclusively against elderly and disabled medallion holders. At yesterday's MTA board meeting, Chair Gwyneth Borden instructed the Director of Taxi Services to revise the agency's posture toward Prop K medallion holders. Those words from the head of SFMTA give us hope that discriminatory enforcement actions will cease, but we are not there yet. Please support Chair Borden in telling MTA staff to revisit outdated policies and please share your thoughts with Mayor Breed as well. Please note also that virtually all elderly medallion holders would gladly sell their medallions tomorrow if they could, and that all of the necessary transfer regulations are in place. But MTA has effectively frozen that program for years. All of the appellants are thus caught in a very harmful catch-22 dilemma of the agency's own creation. My comments apply equally to all of the taxi items this evening, so I will not be repeating them. Sincere thanks to you for hearing these appeals, and I hope that you will decide in favor of the appellants. Okay, thank you. Is there any further public comment? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any further public comments. So, commissioners, this matter is submitted. Um, may I ask a question before uh, I, I let the I ask the uh, commissioners to discuss, uh, Mr. Givener, uh, Can you clarify what we're what we're doing here tonight? Um, I, you know, it's it, you know, it's it's it, it, one can one can laugh at it because it's really complex, and um, and it's been hashed and rehashed. There's many views, and they're all right views, right, from those who provide those views. Um, but uh, can you can you clarify for the commissioners before we have discussions? And I'll ask you, please, to do the same uh, in the next. Uh, Next uh, upcoming hearings, um, if we if we if we find for the appellant, what happens? If we deny the appeal, what happens? Please. Sure. Um, bef before I answer your question, Commissioner Swig, yeah. just want to make one note that in the general public comment at the beginning of this meeting, a member of the public. Uh, alleged that the executive director has a conflict with regard to these taxi cases and just wanted to clear the record that my office has advised the executive director she does not have any conflicts uh, and as a side note beyond that she's also not a decision maker in in this hearing but just a facilitator so thank thanks you for, for that thank um, you for that yeah um, in terms of the question before the board tonight um, the the issue is whether to overturn the revocation of the taxi medallion, um, in which case you would be uh, granting the appeal, uh, or to deny the appeal, and, um, and in which case the, the taxi medallion would be revoked. And that is 
The same is true in all three of the appeals. In, the, in some of the earlier hearings on this, there's been some question from, uh, from the appellants about who, about the, the vote threshold in these matters. Uh, because there was a there was a decision by a hearing officer followed by a reconsideration by the hearing officer, the vote threshold here is the same as it is in other appeals. Uh, it will take four members of the board to reverse the reconsidered hearing of the of the hearing officer. So if you if if the board has four members to who vote to grant the appeal um, and reverse the revocation of the of the medallion, then the Four vote, it takes four votes to pass. Uh, there are a few different issues that have come up along the way. Uh, arguments put forth by this appellant and, and, and others um, about whether the hearing officer in this matter um, correctly applied the transportation code and also about whether uh, equitable factors, equitable estoppel as, as as Commissioner Trezvina explained, uh, um, supports reversing the hearing officer. Um, the board can make a decision on either ground. You could, you could conclude that the hearing officer made a legal error by misapplying the transportation code. Uh, I don't believe that the appellant here is making that argument uh, very strongly. Uh, but I, I think the argument, the argument that the appellant here is, is primarily making is that equitable estoppel should apply here uh, under the factors that, um, that Commissioner Tresvina explained. Uh, essentially that the SFMTA staff made representations to the appellant uh, and he reasonably relied on those, on those representations um, and the representation was, don't worry, you don't need to review your A, a card. You can continue to hold this medallion essentially in perpetuity. The if the board um, concludes that the SFMTA made that representation, that, um, that the appellant relied, and as Commissioner Tresvina said, that there would be uh, grave injustice by not applying equitable estoppel and the application of equitable estoppel would not undermine a significant public policy, uh, then the board could reverse the appeal. I'm sorry, re reverse the, the hearing officer's decision. Finally, this board has several times continued these items um, and that's an option again for the board, but just like in the past hearings, you would need to have a really concrete reason to appeal and a, a back-end deadline by which particular action would be taken. If, if, that is, if that's um, an option that you would like to consider today, I'd really suggest that you inquire more with the, F, the SFMTA's representative about, uh, about the likelihood of additional action at the MTA board. Thank you, Mr. Trisina. Thank you, President Swigert. Thank you, uh, Deputy City Attorney, for the, that guidance and advice. And this is the time that I wish we had a court reporter here because I'm trying to repeat what you said, um, but I may have missed it. I, I, I thought you had said, uh, in reference to the hearing officer, the reconsidered hearing. And 
from my review of the videos, the voluminous paper presented, I never saw any, any actual hearing at which there was a reconsideration uh, being discussed. And while I, it, it only plays a minor role in this case, it is more relevant to the other two cases, I just wanted to, uh, we, we can talk about that as the other two cases come along, but I would like to explore uh, the validity of the reconsideration and the issues that were described in the papers. Thank sure, you. I, I, was, I was probably getting ahead of myself by talking about the reconsideration in, in the context of this Thank hearing. Mr. Lopez. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Givner, for, for your input. Um, on, on, the, on the last point uh, that Mr. Givner touched upon uh, related to, you know, future likelihood of, of, of changes on this front, I'd like to turn uh, to Mr. Crana uh, briefly. Um, earlier, uh, Mr. Tresvigny actually took my question about uh, whether there had been any reconsideration of uh, enforcement or, or accommodations, and I know that you said that there hadn't been. Uh, we've also had uh, a couple of uh, statements during public comment uh, suggesting that there may have been some related uh, conversation about this at uh, the recent uh, MTA board meeting. So I was wondering, know that it was very recent, <laughs> and but just wanted to get your input on that or how you would characterize that discussion uh, if if it happened. There was no discussion. It's available. I'm getting an echo. Okay. It's available online, SFMTA board. I believe it's published online, so you can view it yourself. Uh, the board president did ask uh, the director of taxis uh, to look at um, helping out post-K holders. Um, but there was no discussion about ending the full-time driver requirement or changing the A-card rules. I mean, in fact, the city has litigated this repeatedly. They defended this over the years. I think taxi medallion holders case was in 2002. Sloan, I forgot when that was, but it, the city has vigorously defended this rule repeatedly. Just a, a follow-up, would, in, in your uh, understanding of that discussion, do you think that it would uh, impact uh, hearings such as this, or would it be uh, potentially an under, and it sounds like it may, may not have been a detailed discussion, but, no. uh, but in your assessment, is it something that would potentially impact uh, similarly situated folks as these appellants? I think it's unlikely. Got it. Thanks. Mr. Kranos, Ings, I don't want you to go wasting any energy. Um, you know, in, the, in past hearings, I think I brought this up. Excuse my senior memory, I'll do it again. Um, I, I, I am tremendously sympathetic to the seniors. As a senior member of this panel, I am sincerely, uh, sincerely sympathetic to seniors. Um, and, and, you know, what we face when we cross 70s and go into 80s and if we live that long. Um, but what, what continues to haunt me, and I need some clarification, what is the value of 
the the medallion, other than uh, a Hail Mary that one day uh, value w w that doesn't exist today. There's been testi testimony all day about that. Uh, will return. What is the what is the the real the real estate value of uh, a medallion at this point, or is it just a souvenir? And and I'm, I do not mean to be sarcastic. Uh, or is it just a souvenir that one puts in their drawer, um, saying that they they were a taxi driver? Um, that's that's first question. And aligned with that, there has been reference. We heard in public comment today that a medallion holder can make income um, by leasing that medallion to somebody else and sharing the uh, sharing the, the 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 value of that medallion to that lessee. So, so answer the first one, then answer the, the second one, please. Sure. The, the price for medallions is $250,000, and that yeah. is set by the MTA board. Medallion holders may lease their medallions. However, this class of medallions has a full-time driver requirement. The class of medallions that we refer to as transferable medallions, those at which people pay $250,000 for, they, they can lease it out as well, but they also have a loan payment that they need to make. And oftentimes, they are drivers themselves. So yes, the, to answer your question, yes, medallion holders may lease their medallions out. Right. So but I'm, I'm still not clear. In the case of this particular medallion holder, and I will ask you to address it in the next two cases for the record, um, there, there's what, what this person is holding is something that has a potential value of two, $250,000 because that's the fixed price, but there's no, there's no market for that medallion right now and no market for that medallion in the foreseeable future. Is that your view? There's lease income that they can make, but we the agency doesn't get involved in that. That's individually negotiated between the taxi company, what we call a color scheme, and the and the respective medallion holder. So it, it may vary. We don't we don't get involved in, in that relationship. So we I don't have that information. We don't track that information. We stay out of that. But um, in this particular case, this this particular gentleman, do you see him leasing that medallion to a taxi company and making getting any getting any value in that fashion well he wouldn't be driving it because he doesn't have an a card so yes yes what? he would lease it he, he, would he would have to lease it correct all right so there is value in that medallion yes okay lease value all right um is there uh and most likely although there's a value of two hundred fifty thousand dollars um right now that's probably not going to happen there are currently no buyers for medallions. Right. Um, what is what is the harm of what? Why is the city so rigorous about uh, the holding of the medallions by these individuals? Who um, I know there's a full-time driving requirement. I know all. I've heard all the testimony. But w what is the intensity and the rigor related to um, getting these medallions? back what is the what is the harm of an 80 uh, 80 year old man who can't uh, can't drive but could get some value if uh they 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 lease the medallion what what is what is the why is there this rigor about getting those medallions back from those individuals uh prior there was lax or no enforcement until i came on board mm -hmm. and when i became aware of this i alerted the director and this this effort was undertaken 
Um, and the harm is to other medallion holders who are compliant um, in compliance. Okay, so, um, so what this boils down to, and it's fair, because I, I preach this gospel every week, is the law, the, the law is the law. Uh, the, the, these, you know, we have, a, we have an act to, to comply with this act. You have to f fulfill the following five things. If you don't, guess what? You don't get to, you don't get to be an actor anymore. So it's, a sim it's really as simple as that. You're, well, you're, you're preventing a double standard from, am I hearing that you're preventing a, trying to prevent a double standard from, from ha happening? And, and that is, although um, these individuals are in their, you know, their last chapter of their lives, most likely, and they are disabled and they, they suffer from the inability to drive, uh, they, they, they are still subject to the same rigor that an active driver is. And so why should you create an exception? You don't want to create an exception for these, these drivers because you want, you want compliance to the law. Is that kind of it? Yes. This was yeah. never intended to be a life estate. I guess the, it's a fee simple, determinable, or fee simple, like that, where, where you need to drive, and if you don't drive, it comes back. It was right. never meant, intended to be a life estate, at least it never, no, it never was intended to be a permit for life. Yeah, so what we, what we have to, to wrestle with here tonight is, uh, is t taking away uh, a, a, senior's, uh, a senior individual's hope because, in, in fact, they cannot comply with the law, and we have to remind ourselves, although we would like to be compassionate, uh, that we still have to pay attention to the fact that the law suits all all parties and when you when you got this medallion you were subject to these uh these conditions is that does that kind of wrap it up right right yes this this medallion that it was when i say without cost i mean without monetary cost obviously as they mentioned they waited years for this stuff and, and i acknowledge that and i'm very i respect that for sure they put in sweat equity to earn this but they did not they don't have a, a loan outstanding as well so so it is without cost, effectively. Money, I should say. And if they did have a loan outstanding, what, how would the rule change? That's well, interest. I know it doesn't apply to this. Right, there, this rule does not apply to the, that class of medallions. Okay, all right. Thanks. Thank you. President Swig, a member of the public did say he's able to answer your questions, but I don't know if you wanna allow. I'm okay. talking to, I'm asking a, the, okay. the, a professional. So okay. So with that. Commissioner Epler has a question. Yes, thank you. The uh, broken windows theory to non-enforcement notwithstanding for these medallions, can you go into more detail about what the other harm to medallion holders would be if, if these uh, medallion holders were to be allowed to continue to hold their medallions? Also, technically, the, the transferable medallions who also would like to lease their medallions, and again, they, they have a loan, so they have a minimum they need to make monthly. Um, because these, this class of medallion has no overhead it, it, on the loan. Um, they tend to drag down, in our opinion, drag down the lease, the lease value or the lease income uh, that's out there in the market. But, but they would be allowed to lease their, their medallions if, if they so wanted to. Is that correct? Wh whom? Uh, the current, the, the, say, say the gentleman in front of us uh, on this appeal. Yes. Yeah, he would be able to lease it. Yes, he would most, that probably would, because again, he doesn't have a driver permit, he's not going to drive it. Right, so, 
So, so the question is, that lease is competitive in the marketplace, you're saying, if he's allowed to keep it, and so therefore it's a detriment to the other drivers? Yes. Okay. Would there be a, a circumstance where someone who was able to drive full-time uh, would want to then lease their medallion? Yes, they are free to do so, provided that they meet the conditions of their permit. They are free to do so, but is there a condition in which they actually do that if they were, you know, really capable? I mean, does that happen with great frequency? What's, you know, what's the market uptake on that? Uh, I'm not sure about the exact percentages, but yes, they do that. The, the, those drivers in compliance who, who drive full-time also lease the medallions. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Mitch, there's any other questions and anybody want to move forward on this? Um, not hearing anybody, then uh, you want to make a motion? Because I'll prepare to do it. John, uh, Mr. Trisvenier? Uh, I'll defer to you. Okay. Um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Lemberg. <laughs> I, I don't know. To me, this isn't really a tough one. I, I, I've, you know, as uh, three of us on this panel did, spent my entire weekend reading and viewing videos from this, uh, for these items. And um, for this particular case, I think it's probably one of the strongest equitable estoppel arguments I've ever seen in any legal proceeding ever. Um, I, uh, I, I, I think it's an extremely powerful thing. And of course, the, uh, the joy of equitable estoppel as a defense in an action is that you can fulfill, check all the boxes and uh, be right legally and be in compliance with the code and still overturn the decision on that basis. Um, but that said, I, uh, you know, past the equitable estoppel argument in this particular case, I, you know, I've heard all of the taxi drivers now and in the past. I've heard uh, all of the public comment. I've heard, uh, I've heard the MTA representatives who have basically said that they're not planning to do anything to fix this problem. Um, and while we are not a policy-making body and we do not have the ability to overturn or change policies, uh, we do have the ability to uh, to address the cases before us, and I uh, I certainly would be prepared to uh, to to grant all three appeals tonight on that basis. I think this is a, a grave injustice to the taxi drivers. Uh, I think it is a complete and total arbitrary discrimination against disabled people, and uh, and. That's that's my opinion on this. That's that's where I'm at. I'm at with this. I'm very glad you're starting the the conversation, um, Mr. Trisvenia. Well, I had deferred to you earlier, but I'm I'm if I'm if I'm here to facilitate tonight, and right. I'm looking forward to hearing everybody's opinion so we can all get to yes. All right. Well, my 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 opinion is this is a. This is not an easy case, and I applaud the work of our, my predecessors, our predecessors on on on, the, on this commission, and all the time that the city and 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 uh, all the all the interested members of the public have. This is a very very serious subject. Uh, our taxi drivers have a, a very important job. 
Uh, among other things, are the ambassadors, the first ambassadors for San Francisco. As soon as somebody arrives at the airport or other ports of entry for the city, they're met by a taxi driver. Also, they have one of the most dangerous jobs in our city. Uh, you and I are the more senior members of this commission. We remember Paul Stein, the first victim of the Zodiac back in 1974. Uh, the, the regulation of taxi medallions and licenses has been a struggle since the 1970s and it's been banded around different agencies. So I, I do appreciate the difficulty of, of the city in administering, administering this program and attempting to uh, have a policy that doesn't, I guess, have, have, have exceptions. But I, I look at the, I look at the uh, equitable estoppel uh, case that the uh, agency put forward, City of Goleta, uh, equitable estoppel will not apply against a governmental body except in unusual instances. I think we can all agree this is an unusual instance. When, when, when necessary to avoid grave injustice, we've heard tremendous testimony uh, from the uh, Mr. Scrack, the other, other litigants, members of the public about uh, uh, avoiding a grave injustice, and when the result will not defeat a strong public policy. And all of those elements, I think, apply here. The strong public policy seems to be in the oral, oral testimony from, from the department to be, I came in, I saw it was, uh, th there should be maximum full compliance with the view of the law. However, there is also on the books for the city this, this, this uh, co exception for color scheme key personnel. All, it's, and it's not called an, it's called an exception, but it's called an alternative driving requirement. So you look at the ADA law, and, and I, as, as uh, when I was dean of the law school at USF, we had students requesting reasonable accommodations, some of, some of which somebody could say, well, why is that student getting more hours to take an exam? Why is that student getting a, a tutor or assistance and other students are not? Well, because it's a reasonable accommodation for someone with, with, with a particular disability. So I don't consider, uh, I don't consider this waiving the driving requirement. I consider it an alternative way of achieving it. Uh, and that is part of the ADL. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm struck that the, that the uh, department ha has no policy for permanent disability. They have one for temporary disability, but not one for permanent disability. And in the last six months, in uh, almost uh, being tone deaf to this, to the to the proceedings here and the decisions that you all have made, did not move forward on on considering considering something. So I consider the equitable estoppel requirements met, uh, and I would at the appropriate time move to uh, overturn the decision. Uh, based upon uh, the equitable estoppel principle. Mr. Lopez. Thank you. Uh, I, I echo uh, the comments of, of the previous speakers, um, and I won't go. I know that uh, uh, President Swig was here for, for the earlier ones that, that I had, and it sounds like my fellow commissioners watched uh, all, those, all those videos and testimonies, so I won't repeat uh, my previous thoughts on on, on the matter. Uh, what I'll just add is that I continue to believe that the, the elements of equitable estoppel 
or, or met in this case. Um, and I didn't hear anything uh, related to the element of grave injustice or a countervailing uh, strong public policy interest uh, that's happened in the intervening six months uh, to change my view on that front. Uh, so I'd be supportive of granting the appeal. Thank you, uh, my, my fellow commissioners. I, I almost hesitate to pile on here, but um, going to that point of uh, the strong po public policy or the injustice, I, I, I'm kind of shocked at the argument that, that the potential to lease and compete in the marketplace with the license to compete is the damage that's going to happen, particularly when it's not a actual marketplace, but it's a marketplace created by the entity that now wants to pull the licenses out. Um, it I mean, I, I, I guess the argument is so, for lack of a better word, bad that I have to comment on here. Um, otherwise, I do agree with, the, uh, with your points that you guys have made uh, this evening. Thank you. Um, do, we have a, do we have a motion? I'll, I'll move to, to grant the appeal on the basis of the elements of equitable estoppel being met in this case. Okay, and before it's called, let me make a comment. Um, I think there's no win situation, um, and I think we are suffering from um, many of the points that you all brought up. Policies, the policy sucks. <laughs> That's not a very legal term, but I mean, it's, it's, it's weak, it's muddy, it, you know, it's, it's sticky, so, um, if you if you take the if you if you take the medallion away, which I feel has no value, come on, we've heard that, and we have Uber and we have Lyft and we have all, God knows what the next ride share is going to be. Um, you're 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 taking away you're also taking away hope. Um, and and the the point I brought about could could you lease the medallion? The answer is yes. So there is there is. If you work real, real hard, I don't know if any of these gentlemen have the forthcoming, have the strength to do that. There is a value to create revenue for them. Um, uh, is it against, now I'm going to jump to the other side and say, you know, does it, uh, granting this appeal go against MTA rules? Um, clearly that's why we're here, because the MTA thinks so, but maybe if we move forward and grant this appeal, uh, this will force the MTA to uh, make the policy a little tighter, make it less sticky, and that's really, I think, what we will hope to achieve, not only giving these folks hope tonight by granting the appeal, this appeal and maybe the others, I don't know, we'll have to have those hearings, but also that we force policy to get a little tighter, a little clearer, and um, which I think that's what Mr. Epler was commenting on. So uh, with that, Julie, can you call the roll? Okay. And Commissioner Lemberg, I'd just like to suggest adding a few facts to your motion, but so please let me know if you want these or not. But it, it was Vice President Lopez's motion. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Vice President Lopez. Uh, Vice President Lopez made a motion to grant the appeal and overturn the determination on the basis that the SFMTA is equitably stopped from revoking the medallion. And I was just thought you might want to add because Mr. Scrack reasonably relied on his conversations with SFMTA managers that he didn't need to renew his A card. Yep. Okay. So on that motion, Commissioner Trisvina? Yes. 
Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Yep. Okay, so that motion carries five to zero and uh, the appeal is granted. We are now moving on to item number six. This is appeal number 21-064, George Horrible versus the Municipal Transportation Agency, appealing the issuance on July 9th, 2021 of the decision on reconsideration, SFMTA versus George Horrible, revocation of taxi medallion number 1303. George Horrible does not have a current California driver's license and is not eligible to possess an A card. Without these licenses, the taxi medallion can be revoked pursuant to the transportation code. The notice of non-renewal issued by the SFMTA taxi services is upheld and the medallion is revoked. This is medallion number 1303. And as you can see from the agenda, there's a very long procedural history. It was initially heard, and I'm not going to read it all, but it was initially heard on September 1st, uh, 2021. And it was most recently heard, and it was continued several times, and it was last heard on May 11th, 2022. And at that time, uh, upon a motion by Commissioner Lopez, uh, the board voted 4-0 to, to continue the matter to November 16th. 2022 on the basis that there could be a change in conditions that could affect the value of the medallion. More specifically, there could be a change in legislation, <coughs> policy, or collaboration between taxis and ride-sharing services, which might add value to the medallion. So, um, again, we will hear from the MTA first. Um, this is very similar to the last case. So, Mr. Crana, you have three minutes. And, oh, as a, as a preliminary matter, uh, I'd like to confirm... Uh, commissioners uh, Trisvenia, Lemberg, and Epler, that you had the opportunity to watch the videos and review the materials for the prior hearings that took place. Yes. 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 Thank you. Philip Crenna, Enforcement Legal Affairs Manager. Uh, again, this is a very similar situation. Um, the notice of non-renewal is issued for a lack of an A card, as this is a post-K medallion, and post-K medallions are subject to the full-time driver requirement. Transportation code requires that any, uh, any medallion holder subject to the full-time driver requirement must maintain an active A card, and that was the basis for the non-renewal. Um, we request that you uphold the underlying uh, decision by the hearing officer and deny the appeal. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. We will now hear from Mr. Murdo. He's the agent for Mr. Horbel. Do they have a question? Oh, I'm sorry. Commissioner Trisvenia. This, uh, th thank, thank you for your, your presentation. This question may go to you, may go, may go to the deputy city attorney. It has to do with the, uh, as you referenced at the end, the, uh, the, the hearing officer's decision. Can you, can you, do you know the, the genesis of the decision between the time of the first decision that was rendered and the reconsidered one? The one that's not before you and the one that's before you? The first decision is not before this board, correct? Well, that, I think that's a, that's a question we need to decide. The hearing the, the, the decision on June the 9th, the 2021, the decision denying the taxi service non-renewal. Are, are you aware of what occurred between June the 9th and uh, July the 9th when, when Judge Sebastian issued a decision which has been the subject of a 
of this appeal? The city attorney wrote a letter requesting that the hearing officer reconsider their, consider, their decision and issue a new decision based upon the transportation code. And are you aware of whether the deputy, the city attorney, to, to whom did he write? The hearing officer, and all parties were served. And uh, was, was there, uh, what, what, what was that? Uh, you said a request for reconsideration? Yes. Was that, was there a hearing on the request for reconsideration? No. So was there the re so was reconsideration granted? Yes. And how was that presented? How had had how was that how was the reconsideration grant made? Uh, the hearing officer issued the current decision that's before you today. Well, there's a difference between and this is why perhaps I could ask Mr. Givener, from, from my days in the city attorney's office, there's a request for reconsideration. There's notice for a request for consideration. There's the request. There's the hearing on the request for a request for reconsideration. And if that's granted, then there is reconsideration. Uh, it seems to me you're saying that there was an email sent from the city attorney to the hearing officer, and the response was a new decision. Is that correct? In short, yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, Mr. McMurdo, welcome. You have three minutes. Thank you, Julie. George is going to speak first if he's on. Okay, we won't start the time yet. Mr. Horble? Uh, let me check. Yes, I believe he called. Mr. Horble, I believe you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Okay. Hello? Hello? Please Hello, go. can you hear me? Yes. Hello, uh, my name is George Horble. I have medallion 1303. I'm a native San Franciscan. I'm 75 years old. I'll be 76 in two days. I have driven a cab in San Francisco for 43 years, but uh, kidney failure and cancer ended my driving career around 2016. I'm now in a wheelchair and I cannot walk. I can walk with a walker. And I'm living on a small social security check that barely, that barely pays my rent. So I'm so hoping today that you will stop this cruel harvesting of medallions from old and disabled medallion holders. I'm, I'm not low-hanging fruit, so I'm 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 calling uh, for you folks to to help me out. So please don't let them kick me under the bus, and, and please let me retain whatever small income that I may receive from my from my medallion, so that I may live out my last few years with a little little more financial security and uh, dignity. So please let your heart be your guides here, but and let justice prevail. I, I thank you so very much, and, and God bless you all. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, I want to say that George is a Vietnam vet, and he, um, he this he's very stressed out because this is his fifth hearing, 
and it went through two administrative officer hearings, hearing officer hearings. Um, and as Mr. Transvenia pointed out, the main argument I really want to make is that the the code eleven section eleven twenty of the transportation code is explicit that the hearing officer's decision takes effect the day the decision is served, and and it's also a blatant disregard for ex parte communication rules by the city attorney's office in this particular case. But you know if you don't agree with that argument, I would at least say that the pilot program with Uber should go forward and see if value comes back. And the reason why it's a little more than a Hail Mary has to do with the dynamic of what the, the Uber did, which is Travis Kalanick had been through this before, the CEO of Uber, first one. He figured out that if he could get billions and billions of dollars in venture capital, he could subsidize the rides and payments to the drivers and sell rides at low cost, destroy the op thanks, Alec, destroy the competition, then have an IBO, IPO because they were, Uber was so popular, and he absconded with $2.5 billion. But now the Uber prices are coming up quite a bit, so the taxis are very competitive, and this pilot program might work to, to make a lot of business for the taxi industry. And people might start taking cabs once they see they're getting a, maybe a more professional driver. Thank, Thank you. you. Time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. We have, we have oh, yes, question. I'm sorry, Commissioner Trezvina. Commissioner Trezvina has a question for you, Mr. McMurdo. I'm sorry, if you can just have a seat for a moment. Sure. Thank you. Uh, were you representing Mr. Horrible during that period of June 9th to July 9th, 2021? Yeah, I wrote that War and Peace version brief, and I, you guys must feel like this. I'd say to um, Mr. Lindbergh, maybe you don't want to take a judgeship. Every weekend's going to be like that. But thank you. Yeah, I, I, I wrote that brief. Okay, so so maybe, maybe you could enlighten me more as to okay. what, what, what occurred um, between the time of the decision on the June the 9th, and as I understand it, uh, Deputy City Attorney Emery correspondence requesting reconsideration on June the 22nd. A notice of withdrawal of the decision was sent to the parties on June the 22nd, and uh, Mr. Horrible also on June 22nd was notified of the request for reconsideration. Yeah, I think I heard the question. I have a little trouble hearing, but... Um there was a mix-up. Is that what you're talking about, where we were supposed to be able to put in input? No, in no I, I, oh. what, what, what I'm wondering about is, were you copied on the request from the city attorney to the hearing officer on his request for reconsideration? Uh, yes, I, I, I knew, we knew it was happening, yes. Was there, ever, was there ever any hearing on the request for the reconsideration? Well, I, it, I know you read so much in that file, but what happened, it was, seems to be a really honest mistake by the hearing officer. He told us we had till like July 9 or whatever month it was to get our response in. And he thought it was July 1 when he wrote the decision. So it, it came out like on the day we were, we sent our response in so he never considered it 
but it, it really came across as an honest mistake. The hearing officer was very fair. On one, one other question, on, on page 83 of the materials that we were given, uh, it, it includes the, uh, in a footnote, the city attorney's response to the allegation that something went wrong or that it was an inappropriate way of, of approaching the hearing officer. And oh. the city attorney's office says that section 1120 does not limit the hearing officer's continuing jurisdiction after issuing a decision. And the hearing, um, of, hearing officer retains jurisdiction to correct, well, I, mis, to correct mistakes. In uh, I, I don't think that's what the transportation code says. It says the uh, decision is final. So when the city attorney deputy intervened uh, and leaned on the kind of his underling in the city's quasi-judicial hierarchy, uh, the, the case had already been decided. It was final. And so, and we were not, our side was not notified of this ex parte communication, but they obviously twisted the guy's arm and said, change your decision. I mean, to me, it's obvious. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. We will. Thank you. No more questions at this point, so we'll move on to public comment. Robert Chisana. I want to try to explain as many things as possible in the shortest part of time. Okay, there are three different types of taxi medallion. There are the pre-Ks, the Ks, and the Ps. The sales program was initiated after the hearing and the agreement in the Ninth Circuit. And the agreement was that two taxi drivers who had petitioned to keep their permits it was agreed that they could keep or sell their permits. And this was signed by the city of San Francisco on the side of the agreement. After that agreement was signed, a pilot program of selling medallions was started. The condition of the pilot program was you had to be disabled or over 60 and the holder of a K medallion. The reason for all this was K was a disaster. It was a disaster for drivers because Drivers waited years. I know of a driver who eventually got his medallion in his mid-70s. Now, all logic says you should stop driving a taxi round about that age. And here, and this wasn't an individual thing. Generally speaking, the only time that taxi medallions were added was because there was a big event. And I, by luck or whatever, 
got a medallion because the mayor decided that we needed more cabs because there was a democratic convention in San Francisco. Okay. 30 seconds. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and the most important thing, is this whole question of earning money. The law was calculated that K medallion holders filled the requirement of driving by driving 800 hours a year. Thank you, that's time. Um, unless you ask me a question, I cannot continue. Okay, thank you, no questions. Thank you, uh, thank you again, uh, Mark Ruberg, uh, San Francisco Taxi Workers Alliance. And I'd just like to read to you from uh, Transportation Code Section 1120E2, where it says, the hearing officer's decision shall take effect on the date that the notice of decision is served on the respondent in accordance with Section 1120I. Now, um, it's my understanding that this was all properly and duly served and that made it a, a final decision and uh, not subject uh, to any modification. So uh, I really do believe that uh, there has been a violation of due process rights here. Uh, the other point I wanted to make uh, more generally is that um, I believe that this particular group of medallion holders got swept up uh, in a wave. Um, the, the M this is uh, from their own materials. The MTA uh, sent out 316 notices of non-renewable, uh, of non-renewal um, to 257 medallion holders. That's because uh, corporate medallion holders and others had multiple medallions going back pre-Prop K. 146 of those uh, were cured, so they they kept their medallions. 121 did not respond, uh, and um, those medallions were presumably lost. 49 took appeals. Um, there were 17 hearings and 32 default decisions. But the great bulk of these uh, medallions probably deservedly went back because they were people who weren't driving. Uh, they didn't have uh, any reason or excuse for not driving. And, uh, you know, this was all right and proper. But in that mass, uh, some of these uh, drivers with legitimate disabilities, you know, just got caught up. And these are the cases that you have before you. And it, it, it's really a shame because I, I will tell you this as a cab driver. I know there are others out there that they could be going after if they wanted to instead of picking on this particular group of people and others like them. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, Nyhart, Medallion 244. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Nyhart, we're not calling the people on Zoom yet. We were finishing up with oh. the people in the hearing room. Uh, please excuse me. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Please go ahead. I'm Mary McGuire. I'm a taxi cab driver, and I'm a former commissioner, and I, I want to follow up on what Mark said. And I brought it up yesterday at the hearing, um, this idea of the low-hanging fruit is so contemptuous and so insulting to uh, a person like George Horribles or any other disabled or senior person. Um, and that when I was a commissioner, um, yeah, there's a lot of high-hanging fruit that never got touched. A police captain's wife, their friends, and, um, and, and now this. George Horribles, I knew him when I worked at Yellow Cab, and a lot of us, you know, cab drivers, we were artists or actors, but George was like, you know, a real career cab driver, working five days a week, you know, and a company man, and really going out there and serious about his job. So I, I, I think this is, um, it's, it's disgraceful, like what Mark said, that these people are just being caught up in this wave, and there, there has been fraud, and there are a lot of people, yeah, they don't, they don't drive, they could care less, some of them have other jobs, but somebody like this, uh, you know, it's not right, it's, it's just not right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Mr. Nyhart, you have three minutes, please go ahead. Mr. Nyhart, are you there? Yes, uh, uh, I am thinking that as you invite the MPA board to reconsider and to redefine that you are not letting them, as they might wish to do, to make an even more draconic interpretation. Uh, I am thinking about me from 1997 forward when I was blinded after being stabbed. Uh, all over that the taxi uh, apparatus permitted me every year to pay my dues and, re and continue my prop case operation for the uh, ensuing years. Uh, 17 years, well, maybe 20 years. And so that was at the discretion of the people behind the counter when I was signing up and swearing that my intent was to drive my cab every year, 20 years, and they could exercise that discretion. I think they should enforce the idea of being able to exercise discretion in circumstances they defined as appropriate. And I would hope that someone who is permanently disabled would be an appropriate exception. Anyway, we have given coming up, and I want to thank the board for their public service, and I want to thank all taxi drivers for their public service, too. That's all. Thank you. We will now hear from Marcelo Fonseca. Please go ahead. You have three minutes. Uh, can you hear me clearly? Yes. Julie, I don't know if I am on camera, am I? You're not on camera. Do you want to be oh, on I... camera? Yes, I have two documents that I'd like to okay. show. Okay, one moment. Should I? Just, I'll let you know Click when you're, we're ready to go. 
Should I click on join as a panelist? Um, I'm trying to transfer you over. Yeah, Alan, you can you try? Because you have to click over to a panelist mode. How does he do that? Because I tried to transfer him. I'm going to click on join as panelist. Yeah, join as a panelist, and you'll be able to share your screen. Okay. So let's. So you're a panelist now, Mr. Fonseca, but you are on mute and your camera is off. You have to unmute yourself. Okay, you uh, perfect. Okay, very good. Uh, for the record, uh, I'm Marcelo Fonseca, career cab driver and medallion holder since 2009. Um, I really wish we had uh, investigative reporters from credible media sources here uh, because George Horrible's case is such an injustice. As he said in, in his comment, he drove for 43 years. He served this community for more than four decades. And then he had kidney failure and became a permanent wheelchair user. Um, and now that he can no longer obtain California driver's license, uh, the MTA assisted by city attorneys who twisted arms to reverse previous rulings uh, now, for the fifth time, are trying to strip George of his pride and dignity. Um, this is an injustice. Uh, please don't let it happen. And what I have here, I hope you can see it. This is my A card, and this is my K medallion. Uh, as you can see, they are valid until June of next year. Uh, if I become disabled, and cannot renew my driver's license, I know I cannot renew this A card. But if I lose my driver's license, if I lose this A card, I can still lease this medallion, serve the public, and perhaps have an extra income. So this A card is the driving permit this medallion is a business operating permit. Um, so George, myself, and all the aging medallion holders, we'd like to leave the industry with dignity. We hope someday to get something for those medallions. We invested um, many years of our lives. We broke our bodies doing this hard job. So please don't let this injustice to take place. It is so unfair. It's so, it's so bad for the MTA to be going after folks. I may look healthy to you, but I, and I wish I didn't have to say this in a public meeting. I am a cancer survivor. What if I cannot drive anymore? How unfair would it be for the MTA just to refer to me as a low-hanging fruit and strip me of my dignity and pride of being a, a career cab driver and um, perhaps um, 
getting something for a medallion system that I thank you. That's time. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll now hear from Barry Toronto. Please go ahead, Mr. Toronto. Yes. Uh, good evening. So I want to just uh, add a little bit more information to my previous public comment as somehow related to this. First, this uh, we've uh, declined to renew the uh, K medallion permits by the SFMPA or revocation uh, is, um, is hurting those people who are getting little or no income from the medallion. Uh, there are a few that are deciding to continue to drive because they do not get any uh, passive income from the medallion. And in fact, they're also suffering like the other drivers out there who are driving a K medallion because they are barred, yes, B-A-R-R-E-D, barred from working the airport. They're only allowed to go to the airport when there's the demand is extraordinary, which is mainly on Sunday nights. So as a result of that, they have to be stuck in the work in the city. I myself, who've been driving for over 20 years, have tried to work only the city in one of the Caymedians, and I cannot make, I cannot generate the same amount of income as I can by having the ability to work the airport. Now you are uh, now, unfortunately, uh, some of the cab companies are charging a premium for using these P medallions. And so, and so, the, so the, the, as I said, the value of, of revoking a permit, a K medallion at this time serves no useful purpose because new drivers who get, who have, have been, who've been eliminated for any advanced training because the MTA, uh, the MTA uh, uh, has, re has eliminated that training. Many of the new ones would want to work the airport. And those medallions are, are, are few and far between at this point. The only people benefiting from a K medallion is possibly some income that the, that the, that the, that the drivers of the K medallions get goes to the color scheme itself. The MTA might want a part of this policy create a cap on how much, uh, how much uh, the, uh, the company can earn from, uh, from leasing to drivers of a K medallion uh, if, if, the, if the medallion holder is not driving at all. Uh, there may be some discounts to the medallion holder, but uh, very few. And last comment about it is 302 medallions were revoked uh, uh, from, from, the, um, from um, the credit unions, the Beth Page and the San Francisco Federal Credit Union. So as a result of that, that's why they were given exclusive assets to the airport and there have been no revocations since September of last year. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from Evelyn Engel. Please go ahead. You have three minutes. Ms. Engel, please go ahead. All right. Now, uh, you can hear me now. Yes. Thank you. Uh, my name is Evelyn Engel with the Taxi Workers Alliance. I don't want to repeat what others have said, but I I highly support um, justice for these disabled medallion holders. What I want to add is that I was a taxi driver at Yellow Cab between 2014 and 2020. Uh, I don't have a medallion, I'm a driver. I recognize 1303 immediately. Um, I drove 1303, I, 
I didn't have an assigned cab, but I, I drove it many times. I tried to look up the dates, um, June 29th, 2019, I drove it. In April, I drove it. Um, these are paper records, so I couldn't find very, you know, couldn't find them quickly. I just want to say that there is value to having these medallions available, leased to cab companies and available for drivers. Um, and I'm one of the ones that have uh, benefited from it. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any further public comment for this item? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any further public comments. So, commissioners, this matter is submitted. Commissioners, Commissioner Lopez, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I'd like to to ask a couple questions of uh, Mr. Givner. Uh, and before I jumped in, jump into the substantive uh, questions, I just wanted to kind of get ahead of any questions or or allegations of of conflicts issues, uh, just because I I do see that that. Uh, Mr. Givner is is copied on the the Emory to Sebastian uh, email that's in the record. So could you just clarify for us if there's a conflict issue that's been considered? Sure. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, as you know, the city holds many administrative adjudications. Uh, the Board of Appeals is an administrative adjudicatory body, uh, and the city attorney is the attorney for the entire city. Uh, in all city agencies. Um, we, as a government law office, uh, have some special rules that apply to us in administrative adjudicatory appeals uh, in order to protect the due process rights of all the litigants. Um, so the way we handle those appeals is we basically separate our office into two separate groups. Uh, in this situation, we had one group of attorneys who advise the MTA taxi division, uh, and a separate group of attorneys who are assigned to advise on any appeals, and that means appeals to the MTA's hearing officers and, and appeals to the, to the Board of Appeals. Uh, I am on the side, I'm sitting up here because I'm on, on, the, on the, one of the group of attorneys that is assigned to advise the Board of Appeals and hearing officer in any taxi-related matter. Uh, my colleague, Zach Porianda, who has advised this board in previous taxi appeals is also on the hearing officer board of appeals side. Mr. Emery is on the side of, of uh, an, in the group of attorneys that is advising the MTA staff. Uh, and these, we have a, a hard wall or screen between the two sides. We don't talk to each other, we don't share files. Uh, about any, any matter related to any of these appeals. Um, there are some very narrow exceptions to the, to the, to the screen. Um, one of the, the primary exception is that we can communicate in the same way that a litigant might communicate with a court or, or a judge's clerk. So for example, Mr. Emery sent, as, a, as an advocate for one of the parties in the appeal, sent an email to the hearing officer and to the uh, driver and the driver's counsel, Mr. Emery could also CC the attorneys who are working with the hearing officer as if we were like the hearing officer's judicial clerk. Uh, that process and those screens 
uh, are consistent with a 2009 California Supreme Court case, and our office's screens in particular have been upheld in, uh, by the California Court of Appeal. Um, in this case, people on my side of the screen uh, have provided advice to hearing officers, to the hearing officers involved. Uh, we have not communicated with Mr. Emery or any of the lawyers on his side of the screen about that advice, um, and, uh, and no ex parte communications about the substance between Mr. Emery and the hearing officer has occurred. Thank you. Thank you for the thorough explanation. Uh, turning to uh, more questions of, of, of substance, um, uh, with respect to the to the reconsideration, uh, did d does that process generally have uh, a basis in the transportation code uh, or you know another city code that may be applicable? Um, and if so, were the procedures uh, you know required? Uh, for for such a reconsideration, were, th were those procedures followed in this case? There's no procedure codified for the for the request for reconsideration in the transportation code or the the rules that apply to hearing officers. Um, so when the hearing officer received the request for reconsideration from the taxi division, um, they determined with with advice from again my side of the of the city attorney's office screen. Uh, that they had, that the hearing officers had jurisdiction over the matter until an appeal was filed, and then it becomes the jurisdiction of the Board of Appeals, or the appeal period ends, and, and then they no longer have any jurisdiction. So that they weren't, in reconsidering the matter, they were not relying on a particular code provision or a particular rule, but uh, what I think is, what, what we advised is, uh, a implicit authority that they continue to have jurisdiction over a matter uh, until one of the parties has taken it to another level. Thank you. Mr. Trezina. Uh Thank you, President Swig and, and Mr. Chairman, I'm, I was not aware that you were on the email in this situation and, and it, it further con confuses me uh, you just mentioned that, uh, if I heard you correctly, that there, there was no ex parte communication between Mr. Emery and the hearing officer. As far as I'm aware, I, I, and I'll tell you that as the person who was in charge of enforcing our office, ensuring that our office's screens were followed for years, I, I'm confident that there was no improper ex parte communication. Well, that's different than no ex parte communication. You, now, now you're saying there's no improper ex parte communication. And I just wanted to make sure I understand the difference between there was communication between Mr. Emery and the hearing officer, correct? There was the email? Yes, not, a, I, that, not an ex parte communication. Where the, I believe on the emails between Mr. Emery, that Mr. Emery sent, or the email that Mr. Emery sent to the hearing officer, the parties in the matter were copied. Right, so, so the, so, in the um, in the um, city attorney's uh, brief to us a while back, I'm not sure which date, it says that the hearing officer retains, as you said, hearing officer retains jurisdiction to cor to correct mistakes 
in his decision. I would consider a mistake an error on various parts of it, but not a reversal of the decision. And you then say a contrary rule prohibiting hearing officers from correcting their own mistakes would result in an unnecessary and unfortunate proliferation of appeals to the board. And I think what we have here is an unnecessary appeal to the board uh, because of the, the way the reconsideration came up. My question, though, is the decision, and all decisions talk about the right of review. It says that uh, any party or entity adversely affected by this decision may seek review of the decision by filing an appeal in accordance with the provisions of 15-day timeline set forth. It doesn't say file a motion to reconsider. It doesn't say uh, inform the hearing officer that he or she made a mistake. So I'm wondering whether there is more to the right of review than the appeal that is in that people are informed of uh, and on way what basis there is a greater right apparently for the at least for the city attorney's office uh, and uh, finally does that same ability to correct mistakes go apply to the uh, the other litigants sure just just to, to be clear in in your question you you said when talking to me you said you in footnote one of this brief say that the that the hearing officer has has discretion to reconsider the brief that you're that you're re referencing is not a brief that that is that it's not advice from my office to the hearing officer or to the board it's a brief filed by mr emery on behalf of the taxi division um just to 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 be clear that that I I'm not I'm not involved in any briefs filed with this board. Right, um, but it's your it's the office of the city attorney. It is the office the representation. Of, it is the office of the city attorney that made that representation. We maintain the screen in order to ensure that advice that that this board and the hearing officer receive are entirely separate from from any advocacy on behalf of of people in our office and uh, and we take that responsibility very seriously to give this body and the hearing officer impartial advice, taking all parties' briefs into account. Um, in response to your question about, about the options um, for reconsideration, as I said, there's no codified process for reconsideration. So when the taxi division, taxi division's representative asked for reconsideration of the matter, uh, the question is, what uh, what authority does the hearing officer have to reconsider the matter? Um, and as I said, we advise that the taxi hearing officer, the hearing officer, excuse me, has continuing jurisdiction as long as no appeals or lawsuits have been filed and the appeal period is still pending. And the hearing officer, in their discretion as a hearing officer, ultimately makes the decision about whether to reconsider their decision uh, and what that decision will be. Thank you. Commissioner Lemberg. Um, I share very similar concerns with Vice President Lopez and Commissioner Trasvenia, but I, I have a slightly different angle for it, which is 
I'm not terribly concerned about the screening procedures. I don't think there's necessarily a there there, um, at least not on the record in front of us. Um, I'm, I've been trying to formulate what I actually want to say here. First of all, I, I you know, I, I believe it was Mr. McMurdo earlier who said, uh, who pointed to section uh, TC 1120E2, which says that the hearing officer's decision shall take effect on the date that the notice of decision is served on the respondent in accordance with the section 1120I. I just, I, it, I, I, I've heard what you've said, Mr. Givner, about the, the board or, or the city attorney's decision that they, the hearing officer has continuing jurisdiction. What I don't understand is how Mr. Emery came to the decision that he had the authority to message, write an email to the hearing officer and request reconsideration to begin with. That's what I don't understand. Can, can you shed any light on, I mean, I know you're screened, so it's, I, you probably can't, but. Um. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm not, I was not involved in that decision or any discussions with, with Mr. Emery. It's possible that, that the SFMTA's representative could, could speak to it. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I What's clear to me from reading the code section is that the litigants have the right to appeal to the Board of Appeals, which obviously happened here, um, but I don't see any authority for a re request for reconsideration. We have authority for requests for reconsideration and jurisdiction requests, but I don't see that in the code section here. And so I, you know, I think your interpretation of that law is probably a reasonable one. I just don't see how we got here in the first place. I, it just doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me that they were able to do any of this in the first place. I don't think that's a question, but. <laughs> Chair, you have anything uh, before Mr. Lopez uh, as a second bite of the apple? This time I will hesitate to uh, pile on with my fellow commissioners. Uh, back to, to Mr. Givner. Uh, the, there was a reference, I forget if it was in uh, Mr. Emery's email or, or one of the hearing officer's uh, emails, uh, but it was, it said something to the effect that the hearing officers had kind of huddled up and, and decided maybe collectively, maybe as a group, that it might be a good idea to, to reconsider these previously adjudicated hearings in order to avoid appeals. Um, and I'm assuming that uh, given the screen which you've described that uh, that someone like Mr. Emery wouldn't have been uh, in contact with these hearing officers to to coach them on on uh, on, or guiding them on, on, on that type of uh, conversation amongst the hearing officers. So is there anything you could share based on your knowledge and experience of 
what may have prompted that conversation if you know if you could even uh, comment on on whether it took place or what you understand about it yeah I I I don't think I can um, I don't uh, you know, my offices or my my team in my office our role is to provide advice to any of those hearing officers on request uh, and that's where I I'm not sure about the huddling up but that's all I can really tell you okay uh, we got to move forward um, do we have a motion to move forward in any direction whatsoever you have the floor I'm as you can tell I'm very troubled by the uh, the post hearing activities um, that have occurred here and it appears that if, if I understand if we have the whole story that the hearing officer made a decision received a a, a request from Mr. Emery on June the 21st at 10.57 a.m. and on the same day notices withdrawal of his decision. I can't imagine he could do that based on seven lines uh, or actually fewer than seven lines of, uh, of an email. And I think what should have happened was the um, the city, uh, the, the, the agency should have appealed if it didn't like the decision. And given that they didn't do so within the 15 days, I would consider that the original decision on June the 9th, 2021, that's referenced in the July 9th Sebastian decision, is uh, decided the issue. In the absence of an appeal of that June 9th decision, I would consider that the final decision. And this matter uh, that we have before us in the parlance of the Supreme Court, it would be improv was improv improvidently granted. Uh, and I would, uh, in order to uh, resolve the matter, I would uh, move to grant the appeal of the July 9th uh, decision based upon the fact that it was uh, that the hearing officer made a, an error in promulgating that decision when the matter was decided by the June 9th decision. Um, any further discussion on that, Commissioner Lemberg? I, I just wanted to add to what Commissioner Trezvini was saying. I, I totally agree. I, I, I also just want to say I believe we have the exact same issue in the next uh, matter, that there was the same decision on reconsideration made in the exact same manner as in this case. Um, and uh, Let's yeah. wait to discuss yeah, that. I just wanted to... Uh, let's, let's stick to the... That's fine. Sorry. Draining this swamp before we get into the next one. 
Okay. Um, would you like to review sure. the motion, please, uh, Ms. Rosenberg? We have a motion from Commissioner Trezvina to grant the appeal and overturn the determination, the decision on reconsideration, on the basis that the hearing officer made an error in issuing it when the decision had already been issued. Mr. Lopez uh, popped on his, his button, so. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like us to consider um, uh, an equitable estoppel basis for, for granting the appeal as well as, you know, based on a review of, uh, of the record, I, I feel that the, the, the elements that, that we ticked off in the, in the last matter um, exist in slightly different form, but uh, the way I see it, they exist in this case as well. Uh, so I, th I think it's appropriate to make a motion on dual grounds. Um, would you ask that of Mr. Trisvina so he can um, accept your your adjustment, please? I'm, hap I'm happy to have that as an addition to the motion. Okay, and I'm sorry, can you clarify for the record why they are equitably stopped, just the, the facts? A few facts, please. Uh, on, the, on the basis of the appellant's uh, reliance to their detriment uh, on statements from the agency that he didn't need to renew his a card or or right. just statements in general statements in general okay okay so i'll repeat it we have a motion from uh, commissioner transvenia to grant the appeal and overturn the determination the decision on reconsideration on the basis that the hearing officer made an error the sfmta hearing officer made an error in issuing it when the decision had already been issued and two, uh, the SFMTA is equitably stopped from revoking the medallion on the basis that the appellant uh, relied on statements made by the SFMTA. On that motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries five to zero. And, then and I would like to uh, have a little break at 7.53 <laughs> and be back here Try for 8.05. 8.05? Okay, thank mm -hmm. you everyone for your patience. We'll, we'll be back at 8.05. We're taking a short break. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, welcome back to the November 16th, 2022 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. We are now on item number seven. This is appeal number 21-069, James Cortezos versus the Municipal Transportation Agency. Appealing the issuance on July 22nd, 2021 of the reconsideration of statement of decision. SFMTA versus James Cortezos. Revocation of medallion number 753. James Cortezos does not have a current California driver's license and is not eligible to possess an A card. Without these licenses, the taxi medallion can be revoked pursuant to the transportation code. The notice of non-renewal issued by SFMTA taxi services is upheld and the medallion is revoked. This is medallion number 753 for further consideration. Note this uh, matter was a initially scheduled on November 17, 2021. Uh, there's a long history. It was continued several times and ultimately heard on May 11th, 2022. And at that time, upon motion by Commissioner Chang, the board voted three to one, Vice President Lazarus dissented to continue this matter to November 16th, 2022, on the basis that there could be a change in conditions that would affect the value of the medallion. More specifically, there could be a change in legislation, policy, or collaboration between taxis and ride-sharing services, which might add value to the medallion. And as a preliminary matter, Commissioners Trisvenia, Lemberg, and Epler, did you have the opportunity to watch the videos and review the materials for the prior hearings? Yes. 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 Thank you. So we will hear from the SFMTA first. Mr. Crano, you have three minutes. Good evening. Philip Crana, Enforcement and Legal Affairs Manager. Uh, the MTA's position is uh, that Mr. Cortezos, uh, Medallion number 753 um, was non-renewed based upon his lack of an A card as required by the transportation code. Um, this is a post-K medallion and post-K medallions are subject to the full-time driving requirement and the full and medallion holders who are subject to the full-time driving requirement must maintain an active A card as required by the transportation code. Uh, we request that you uphold the uh, reconsidered decision of the hearing officer. Thank you. Thank you. I don't see any questions this time, so we will now hear from Mr. McMurdo, the agent for Mr. Cortezos. Uh, thank you. So I'm trying to, for the commissioners, uh, keep it to where you don't have to deliberate more than a couple of minutes. It's really the same case as the one you just heard with George Horrible. Um, the, there's some slight differences. Jim Cortesos drove about 40 years, and his body was breaking down. He was trying to drive as he became disabled. But once Uber and Lyft came in and the medallion rental fee that we relied on went towards zero, went from 2300 downward. And Jim realized that the money, amount of money he had saved, he was going to be without money and without income if he stayed in San Francisco. And he knew some people in Thailand, and he, he wanted to keep a roof over his head. He says a Social Security payment. Um, and he also relied on the advice from the permit compliance manager, at least he told me that, and I believe him, that he didn't need to have an A card. Um, so he's over in Thailand. He couldn't get on the uh, video. And... Um, one of the things I didn't bring out, and had the other hearings been held properly without the reconsideration, the agency would have been the appellant needing four votes, and they, during the last year, really only had one or two. But anyway, Jim gave me a statement, and I'll try to read it in the next minute and a half, because it says, hello, my name's 
Jim Cortesis, I drove 40 years. My first A card dates back to 1975. I have severe osteoarthritis in both knees, make the sinus fragments, making driving automobiles safely impossible, filed a modification, I'm on the medallion surrender, still waiting, live in Bangkok, small social security check, and um, he talks that he was a lease driver for uh, tw 25 years before he got his medallion. And um, then he talks about the California driver's license. And of course, he can't qualify for one on several reasons. Uh, and it's kind of a funny thing because most of the people who can't qualify for this, it's because of uh, disability. But some people can't afford to live here, but they can arrange to have yellow cab or, fl or flywheel tax. What are you saying? Operate, thanks, Alec, the, the permits. And so uh, they, they need to move. So the fact that the MTA put in a rule about the California driver's license, apparently 38 years after Prop K was in effect, um, and I think that too creates equitable estoppel and things like that, detrimental reliance. Uh, it affects someone like him. It's just making the disabled people a target for uh, the agency confiscating permits. Thank you. Thank you. We're now moving on to public comment. And at the direction of President Swig, given the late hour, public comment is limited to two minutes. So we'll hear first from Marcelo. Oh, is anyone here present? I'm Paul Elgeis. Mark, Mr. Gruber, you have two minutes. Yeah, thank you again, Mark Gruberg, San Francisco Taxi Workers Alliance. I don't mean to prolong it. I know we have an important hearing to come. But uh, I, I learned some new information um, that I found kind of astounding. Um, I, I, I knew before that uh, the request for the reconsideration uh, came through the city attorney's office, but I had presumed that it had come from the side of the city attorney's office that advises the hearing officers. What I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that that request actually came from the MTA side. Now, the MTA, uh, at, the, at the recent hearings that they've held, uh, has represented, you know, the MTA staff has represented to their board that there is an absolute firewall between MTA and the hearing officer section, between their staff and the hearing officer section. Well, if the attorneys who are advising the staff are the ones that are asking for the reconsideration, that's not a firewall. That's a piece of Swiss cheese. And that's my comment. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Next speaker, please. I would like to talk about money. An ordinary K medallion holder, as I told you, only has to work 800 hours a year. That's roughly 80 days. In fact, you can play around with it. During the rest of the year, some of us <coughs> lease our cabs out and do not drive them, and this is perfectly legal. And therefore, this whole question of driving or not driving is kind of pretty flaky. In addition to that, if you work for a cab company in almost any capacity, certainly in the past, pumping gas, you don't have to drive because 
you work for a cab company. So there were many, many reasons that lots of people didn't drive. But the point that I cannot understand is how do we get in a position that MTA does not recognize disability, ADA, for cab drivers because it employs thousands of people and for everybody else, there's ADA. But not 30 seconds. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from Marcelo Fonseca. Please go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, again, for the record, Marcelo Fonseca, career cab driver and medallion holder since early 2009, K medallion. Uh, I knew James Ortesos quite well, a very professional driver. Uh, another case of some, someone breaking his body down uh, providing professional service to San Francisco residents and visitors. So uh, in the sake of time, um, I just want to urge you to not to let the MTA revoke his medallion. He, he served the community for four decades. And just like the aging population of K medallion holders, all he wants is to leave the industry with dignity. So please do not let the MTA revoke his medallion. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from Dirk Nehart. Mr. Nehart, you have two minutes. I want to repeat the thanks to all hands, uh, particularly the advocate for uh, taxi uh, drivers, Heidi Maxson, and also the taxi wizard called McMurdo. You have been essential for this victory and uh, Thanksgiving blessings to thank on Thanksgiving for these cab drivers. And I hope more follow. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Please raise your hand. I don't see any further public comments, so commissioners, this matter is submitted. Commissioners, any comments or a motion? <clears throat> Mr. Uh, Commissioner Lumberg? Um, I would move using the exact same language we used in the last one that I am not going to remember properly, but I would move the exact same language that uh, okay. we used for the last one. Okay, so we have a motion from Commissioner Lemberg to grant the appeal and overturn the determination, the decision on reconsideration on the basis that the hearing officer made an error in issuing it when the decision had already been issued, and two, the SFMTA is equitably stopped from revoking the medallion um, because the appellant relied on statements, reasonably relied on statements made by the SFMTA. On that motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Trezvina? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries five to zero and the appeal is granted. So we are now moving on to item number eight. This is a special item, discussion possible action. On September 8th, 2022, the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency advised the Board of Appeals that it would discontinue the practice of having the board hear appeals related to taxi permit decisions. 
the commissioners will, one, consider the possibility of sending a letter to the SFMTA, which explains the factors considered by the board when deciding these types of cases, and two, discuss whether other agencies have the authority to add to or take away the types of matters that fall within the jurisdiction of the Board of Appeals. So, President Swig, I believe um, uh, you yes, wanted me this to... this afternoon, <clears throat> um, uh, Kate Torrin of the of MTA, uh, put forth to all of us a, a brief presentation uh, that I'd like her to be able to present. Okay, so. And then we'll get into our discussion. Okay, welcome, Ms. Turan. Sorry Hi. for butchering your name. No, it's all good. Okay. I like all pronunciations. Hi, good evening. I'm Kate Torrin, Director of Taxis Access and Mobility Services for the SFMTA, and thank you for making time on your busy agenda tonight for this item. I have a brief presentation, and I wanted to provide a bit of context regarding MTA's decision to discontinue the practice of allowing taxi permit decisions to be heard by the Board of Appeals. So I want to run through some uh, history regarding taxi <coughs> appeals, and um, if I'm covering for, uh, familiar territory, um, I, I hope it will still be helpful just to put it all in context. So until 2007, the Board of Appeals had jurisdiction under the city charter to hear appeals of taxi permitting decisions. Proposition A passed in 2007 and granted the MTA exclusive authority over the regulation of taxis. Uh, thereafter, in 2008, the Board of Supervisors adopted an ordinance which abolished the Taxi Commission. And then in 2009, taxis joined the SFMTA, operating under the regulatory framework established by the SFMTA Board, which is Article 1100 of the Transportation Code. And Article 1100 sets the standards for taxi permit issuance and also provides a structured hearing process for permit holders and applicants. In 2013, which was a bit before my time as taxi director, the SFMTA and the Board of Appeals negotiated a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, which was intended to memorialize SFMTA's consent to the Board of Appeals <coughs> exercise of jurisdiction over taxi permit appeals that were issued, uh, permit decisions issued by the SFMTA's hearing section. Uh, the MOU was never executed and instead, the MTA and the Board of Appeals developed an informal arrangement that allowed the Board of Appeals to continue hearing the appeals of taxi permit decisions. <coughs> and um, the Board of Appeals website states that the um, Charter grants MTA exclusive authority and appeals are heard um, by the board only with the consent of the SFMTA and upon acceptance of the appeal by the board. So that indicates our shared understanding of the matter of jurisdiction. Uh, next, I want to just discuss a little bit, this is a little bit about MTA's internal process, just again to help set the context. Um, in 2019, MTA staff began what we call the permit harmonization process to align our various permit processes, and it's a broader effort than just taxis. 
It also included scooter share, bike share, and new mobility. And um, staff identified a need for a consistent regulatory framework in areas that make sense across different permit types and began an effort in internal dialogue, again, broader than just taxis, but identifying areas uh, to streamline. And um, the appeals for taxi permit decisions have been misaligned with all other MTA appeals because it has a duplicative two-step process. So there's, uh, as I stated, the SFMTA hearing process, and then there's the second Board of Appeals hearings. And there are multiple types of other hearings that the SFMTA hearing section considers, including parking citations, <coughs> towed vehicles, transit violation citations, et cetera. So they have a, a very um, broad range of other types of hearings that they do here at the SFMTA hearing section. And taxis are the only one that has this uh, different process. So I conferred with the Board of Appeals uh, Executive Director, uh, Director Rosenberg, regarding the discontinuation of the informal process or practice allowing taxi permit decisions to be appealed to the board, which was, and we mutually agreed to allow the pending appeals to be heard by the Board of Appeals. We wanted to make sure those appeals that were pending before the Board of Appeals, again, were allowed to continue. And um, thereafter, to align the taxi appeals process with other appeals at the SFMTA, the Director of Transportation then discontinued the informal practice of allowing taxi permit decisions to be appealed to the Board of Appeals, and that occurred in September 2022, this past September. Um, of course, taxi permit decisions remain appealable to the SFMTA hearing section as established in the Transportation Code. Um, amendments to the Transportation Code to remove the now inapplicable references to the Board of Appeals were considered most recently by the SFMTA Board just yesterday. There was overall support for the item, but the motion to approve did not carry because at the time of the vote, there were only four director presents, all for, uh, present, excuse me, all four votes were needed and one director voted no. Uh, upon further conversation, I understand that the one no vote was related to the timing and not the merits of the motion itself. So we expect to bring the amendments back to the SFMTA board in the very near future. Um, but this does not change the policy decision to discontinue the Board of Appeals hearings for taxi decisions. Um, that's it for the presentation. I just want to end with a thank you to the board and to Director Rosenberg, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Okay, thank um, you. President Swick? Sure. Um, you know why, I, I, how long have I been on this board? For a long time now, seven. Two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, I believe seven, over seven years, <clears throat> and I've come to understand why we exist, and we exist because we are the the point of last hope uh, for those who have permits and questions about those permits, or those who question that permits were offered to somebody maybe that shouldn't have got them in the first place. Um, and and w we are that point um, 
and, and we are appointed before the the blood starts dripping in civil court, and the money starts flowing from people who can't afford to hire. Sorry, lawyers. I got I got five lawyers here. Um, uh, before the lawyers start coming up with a thousand dollar an hour uh, fees, and um, you know, and 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 we 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 serve a community purpose. I've you know it's. Uh, I've come to, to bleed. I'm not gonna say Dodger blue because I'm a Giants fan, but you know the. Um, but but we we really serve a purpose for those people who need to have who have a question, who feel that they have been um, either misled, uh, suffered uh, some injustice, don't understand. How about just don't understand? And uh, before uh, this this. Uh, conflict goes to a, a grant again to a bigger court where the money starts flowing, the blood starts letting. Um, if and we just had uh, two, three great examples of of that purpose today. Three people who clearly don't have the the ability to hire thousand dollar an hour lawyers to go to war against their their opposition. In this case, it would have been the SFMTA in the city of San Francisco. And uh, the, and this group of individuals, they were great tonight, really did their homework and, and looked at the detail and so said, holy cow, you know, in, in, there were in the last two cases, you heard it, you know, the, the, there was a mistake made. And as a result of that mistake, an injustice was created. And as a result of that injustice, the opportunity for an appeal was was thankfully created. They didn't have to go to war. They didn't have to pay the thousand dollar an hour because these guys, the, the the gentleman in Thailand, couldn't <laughs> wasn't prepared to do that. And they got they got some justice tonight. Um, I think that the SMTA should review their position uh, on on this as a, a result. Um, in in fairness, in consideration of justice, and the opportunity of somebody who has a, an issue has a place to go before the, the the heavy lifting happens. Even the first case we had today, a gentleman finds two four hundred square foot, not that many, over one hundred square foot. Uh, buildings suddenly next door to living him next door to him in his his backyard, and he goes, "What the heck is going on here?" <clears throat> right? Th that that gentleman clearly does not have English as his first language. Uh, clearly, is not a lifelong uh, citizen that is sophisticated with our the, the way that things are done in the city of San Francisco. And luckily, he has the Board of Appeals to come to and say. Guys, help me out here. Am I right or am I wrong? And we look at it fairly, and lo and behold, the department comes in and says, yep, you know, there shouldn't have been those two elephants that were put in the backyard, and, uh, and we're going to create some change. No thousand-hour lawyers, a, a people's court, the, the, the neighbor got justice, the clarification of the rules were made to the permit holder, and, and life goes on fairly. <clears throat> without us, without this board, that opportunity would not have happened. And so uh, I think that the, the consideration of the MTA of stepping in front of the taxi drivers and not allowing them to uh, uh, appeal their, their permit issues is short-sighted and narrow and offers a significant 
injustice from, you know, my view, because I see it here week after week where justice is served, where people ha have the ability to come in and, 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 and pitch their items. And uh, sometimes they lose, but they get their day in court and they don't, and it, it's affordable, it's accessible, and I think it's fair. So that's just my point of view on, on what you're presenting and the action, and I'll let uh, Commissioner Lemberg follow up. Thank you, President Twig. I uh, concur with everything you just said, and I, as a practicing attorney, I, you know, I, I think about appeals a lot and how appeals work, um, and obviously as a member of this body, uh, we hear a pretty wide variety of different types of appeals, um, and I was racking my brain going through this, and I cannot think of a single other example of an agency having both hearing authority and appeal authority in the same body. I just can't think of one. Um, and there's a reason for appeals bodies. There's in California courts, we have the superior court, which is the trial level court, and we have the court of appeals, which is the court of appeals, and then a Supreme Court above that. Um, with social security determinations, if somebody gets uh, goes to a hearing and has their social security claim denied, they can actually appeal directly to a U.S. district court. Um, you know, there's a zillion different types of permit appeals that we hear in this body. Um, and, you know, I, one could argue that social security, although under a large federal statutory scheme, um, is actually less impactful than a taxi medallion appeal monetarily and otherwise for certainly the people whose cases we've heard tonight and doubtless numerous others. Um, and I just, you know, I, I very strongly wanted to state my distaste for skipping government, skipping different layers of review. Um, and I very much concur with what President Swig said that we exist for a reason and, um, you know, while I understand that the MTA has the legal authority to go forward with this plan, I, I, I very strongly believe that it is not a good plan and that it is uh, that I, I don't think it serves a purpose other than to restrict review of important decisions. And I, again, I also encourage uh, the MTA to uh, reconsider their stance on this. Thank you, Mr. Lopez. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the for the presentation and for for being here uh, this evening. Uh, definitely appreciate the, the the effort that went into preparing uh, the materials, and I found the uh, particularly the timeline uh, aspect helpful. So thank you for that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that that I realized when I you know first saw the memos, uh, you know, coming out about uh, this change was that I hadn't really considered the uh, substantive due process elements of uh, MTA hearing uh, before a neutral hearing officer before. Uh, it's not something that was particularly uh, critical for us to reach uh, you know, decision on the questions that have come before us, but I guess I'll ask you just from our own information, um, you know, what are some of the elements of, of, or of, of how those hearings work? Is there, for example, 
is there an opportunity for, for public comment? Are they recorded? Is there an opportunity for members of the public to, to watch those proceedings? Um, can you just speak to that for a moment? Yeah, sure, and I'll ask my colleague, Phil Crana, who's the enforcement manager, who is much more familiar with the process than I am, but um, yeah. Phil, why don't you? Philip Crana, enforcement legal affairs manager. Um, yes, it's all contained in 1120, so the hearings are open to the public. Um, Pre-pandemic, they were held here, but obviously because of the challenges involving the pandemic, uh, they were remote. Uh, they are recorded. Um, they are, I, I think I said open to the public, uh, and it is at the hearing officer's discretion to allow public comment. So it, it, that is available. Got it. Thank you. Um, uh, I guess my 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 question, uh, you know, specifically about about this change is why now? Like what what's transpired since you know the the handshake agreement uh, several years ago? What's transpired to to prompt this change? Okay, thank you for the question. Um, the, um, as I mentioned, we've been doing a lot of discussing internally about this permit harmonization process, which we uh, want to align our permit processes, again, to the extent possible across a number of different types of permits. And so we're having a lot of robust internal conversations. And with the um, limited resources and looking for efficiencies, the um, as part of the permit harmonization and understanding this two-step process whereby we have the neutral hearing officer conduct a hearing, and then there's a second de novo hearing in front of this body um, that is different from all other permit decisions and hearings, um, that was uh, therefore a focus of discussion. And, um, and we have been looking at this for quite some time, making sure with the city attorney's office that the regulatory, excuse me, jurisdictional questions are clear and have been addressed. So it's, it's been under discussion and review for quite some time. Just for, for clarification, uh, that harmonization process uh, has existed uh, independent of the uh, the hearings that we've had since this enforcement review, which is described in in the uh, I'm not even sure what the what to call it, but it's it's it looks like the staff uh, memo to the board uh, descri describing the proposed change and the the uh, justifications for uh, for the change that that harmonization that you describe uh, existed independently of you know the substance of the the decisions that were being heard heard before our body in the last year and a half or so yeah and it's a again it's a much broader effort and it relates to a number of new mobility services coming online in San Francisco. So scooter share, 
You know, there was a, uh, when scooters dropped in San Francisco, a big scramble to establish a regulatory framework. And there's a lot of work internally to be prepared for the next type of mobility device. So again, it's a much broader conversation. And um, this is part of it. Again, the uh, taxis are one element or one aspect of the whole uh, permitting framework, but to the extent we can streamline our processes and um, really, I would say, implement the intent of Prop A in 2007, which was to create more efficiencies with the MTA and allow that sole regulatory authority of the taxi industry, it's really completing that process and probably should have been done quite some time ago. And um, so at this point, we are uh, again moving forward or have moved forward with it. But I, and I, I do want to acknowledge and appreciate the comments and appreciate the service of this body. And just to emphasize again, there is a hearing process. Due process is very important for us. And in fact, as a division, we much prefer compliance than, um, than you know, this type of hearing. And I know um, I heard going to war, and we certainly don't like to do that. That is not our intent. And really, our preference is for compliance with the rules. And those are clearly established in Article 1100 by the SFMTA board. So um, this process that's before you has been a culmination of many years of um, notices to the industry, the ability to cure. Uh, and again, uh, when this most recent, or recent last couple of years, that enforcement effort was undertaken, a number of medallion holders that were out of compliance did in fact cure. I think maybe even the majority. I'd have to look at the numbers to um, speak directly to that. But that is our preference. Um, we do allow for that. Um, in fact, um, we settle if a uh, non-compliant permittee or applicant gets into compliance before the hearing. So um, there's the ability to settle in advance as well. And that's our approach. Uh, Mr. Epler. <clears throat> I, think, I think that approach makes sense. And, and certainly, um, we don't anticipate hearing you know, every decision. We, I think that we, we think that your hearing officers do a very good job uh, most of the time. I think tonight we thought the first time that they did their job, they did it very well as well. And so even when we quibble with the outcome, we still think that the hearing officers do, at least when left in their own devices, do a very good job. But what I think we're worried about are those corner cases, those times where efficiency does not necessarily lead to justice because the case is hard, much like the cases we heard tonight were hard. And... There's justice, and there's the appearance of justice, and even when a case comes out against you as an appellant, if there's the appearance of justice, then you walk away with the faith that your government is working appropriately. And having an agency be the judge, the jury, and then, you know, execution is strong, but the, the person that then administers the decision does not lend itself to that perception that there has been fairness because they are the entity that is you know, charged with the prosecution of what it is that's going on, even if you have an independent officer. And that's one of the great things about this board is that we are independent. Not only are we independent, but we are 
you know, politically and diverse in that we are selected by the mayor, we are selected by the president, the board of supervisors with the, with the uh, consent of the full board. And so we have that element of being, you know, almost a jury of peers that looks at these corner cases, weighs the thing, things very difficultly and independently, and then comes to a decision that, and I've, I haven't been on this board for very long, but the one thing that I have been very impressed with, um, and it's a, a, you know, a credit to my commissioners that have been on here longer and commissioners prior, is that the folks who have been in this room and walked out of the room, whether we have found for them or against them, have walked out unhappy with the outcome maybe, but you know, it, it seems like they understood that they were heard. They understood that they were considered and they could accept the decision. And I feel that that is a value that we add that's important for civil society. Mr. Trisvenia. Thank, thank you, President Swig, and uh, thank you for your presentation and, and for being here late uh, after we've deliberated, deliberated over so many cases. Uh, the, when I hear, I, I, so I spent I spent most of my career in Washington, D.C. Plenty of congressional hearings on both sides. When I hear the words streamline, when I hear the words harmonize, they always tend to mean something else. And I, I don't know you and you don't know me and I, I, I cast no personal aspersions on, on anyone. But it does concern me greatly, particularly in the atmosphere of our deliberations and our decisions on the, the, the hearings, the, the matters you heard tonight. Uh, and I feel that, um, I remember the old stories about President Kennedy was a young man, he would play chess, and he and his partner would be holding the chessboard on their knees. And then when he was losing, magically he'd shift his knee and the board would drop. Uh, I kind of, I think you may have a public perception problem of you're dropping our board, uh, and going back to your board, losing a, a sense of independence, losing a sense of fairness. I, I wonder whether the people who come before your officers and come before this uh, upper-level hearing would feel this would fe would feel that they were on a level playing field and they had and they, and they and they had a fair shot. Uh, what I what we've heard tonight about um, some some of the ways in, the ways in which they reconsidered. Uh, matter, matters were approached, the hearing officers were approached for, for, for reconsideration. As I read uh, Section 1120F, no agency may communicate directly or indirectly with a hearing officer at any time while a case is pending. And our Deputy City Attorney tonight says well, the case is pending even after it's final. It's pending until the appeal decision has been made by the losing party. I would I would urge you to go back and and and, and, and take in what what has come up tonight uh, and, and and share it with with your board because and and really I, I think this is significant enough new information maybe it's old information but I would think it was significant enough for the board for your board to consider whether the public perception and the reality of streamlining and harmonizing, uh, and, and, and as you, it appears that the harmonization is to reduce process. Maybe it's not the intent, but the result is uh, 
you're talking about duplicative hearings, and it seems to me that the 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 parties will have less of an opportunity to make their case or cases under a, when the cases when the appeals go back to your department than they do here. Uh, and and I, I just echo what my colleagues have said. And I, I it, it, according to the memos, it's 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 your decision. But uh, I, I just urge you to uh, move cautiously and deliberately uh, for the people that we care about, which jointly and together we care about the people of San Francisco. Thank you. Uh, just one more comment on uh, a couple of thoughts. First of all, um, my comments towards you are, are not meant to be critical because um, we really do appreciate the process that you, you go through. Um, we appreciate the fact that uh, you actually paid attention to the, the, the taxi medallions and you've cleaned house. And clearly, as you said, you haven't, you haven't been in your position forever, uh, nor has your associate ne next to you. And, and there were those who came before you who may not have done their job as well as you do or may not have been as uh, uh, conscious about holding, um, holding the terms of conditions of holding a, a, a per, uh, any permit um, to, to the rigor that they should. So we, we really, I know that I appreciate that. Um, and, and I also come, uh, these gentlemen are all lawyers. I'm like a business guy. I like to run efficient, productive. Uh, I, I don't never use the harmonizing word, but the efficiency word a lot. Right. Um, and, but one of the, in, 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 working with businesses, sometimes you can't do a broad brush stroke and say one rule applies to all. And I appreciate your, your testimony tonight that you are anticipating, I really like the fact that you are anticipating new mobility um, uh, businesses or activities. That's really great. I always say that the best president of a company anticipates where they're going to be 10 years from now and not 15 minutes. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate the, on, on behalf of the city of San Francisco that you're trying to be efficient. H however, n not, not all situations are, are the same in the, in the taxi world. These are individual people individual people who hold these medallions, individual people who have to comply to the permits, as opposed to a mobility company, keyword company, that, that is a, it's a completely different animal. And so I think, I think one of the things I would ask your department to consider is, is that not all, mobility, not all mobility situations are the same and that the, the individual taxi cab medallion owners are single people, that's it. They don't have, I was a sole practitioner for the last 40 years. There's, oh, there's nobody behind me, it's just me. You know, and whereas a mobility company has an infrastructure, support, departments, divisions. And so um, I don't think one size fits all. I recommend that you reconsider because one size does not fit all, and for all the reasons I state, you know, I stated before, this is the this is the the last point that the, the last part that they can get justice done before they go into civil court and do other things. 
to reconsider that one size does not fit all and that exceptions are okay even when you're trying to harmonize and become more efficient. So, you know, thank you for coming tonight and uh, thank you for your presentation and thank you for your good work at, at MTA. Anybody else have any comments to close, Mr. Lopez? Yeah, thank you. I, I had questions before. I just wanted to make one comment, um, which which echoes uh, some of these points. Um, and, I, and, and I guess I'll start by by noting that um, you know these cases have had the the ones that have come before us. There've there've been uh, statements, usually in public comment, that that really kind of uh, you know take swipes at the legitimacy of, of, uh, of this broader process and allegations about uh, outside proceedings, you know, impacting enforcement, uh, allegations about uh, conflicts. You know, we, we had a, a discussion even in, 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 in some of these tonight to kind of address that and, and hopefully address uh, potential questions that could arise because there's been uh, various allegations related to that. And um, as someone who wanted to kind of uh, be preemptive about addressing one of the conflicts, uh, questions that may have come up, uh, you know, without us addressing it uh, this evening, uh, you know, I think we do that uh, out of this interest in uh, preserving the impression of the legitimacy of, of our process uh, not just within our board or even just within your agency, but but just within our government. And you know, don't get me started about you know questions of of uh, election improprieties at the national stage. But I think it's endemic of this distrust in in government that you know, like it or not, we need to address it when those questions arise because. You know that trust in the public process is—that's all we got, right? And so, you know, when it comes to to this change, um, you know, whether the 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 the, the underlying concerns about uh, you know dropping the knee on the chessboard or or other potential um, you know uh, allegations would be true, there is that optics question. And, and there's a concern that, uh, you know, I think there's, there's probably reasonable people could disagree about, you know, the, um, the adequacy of, uh, of due process before a hearing officer versus before a board like, like ours. Uh, but it certainly has some optics that I think should be strongly considered. And so I think that's, that would be my comment slash suggestion slash request uh, is that, um, is that, is that uh, your, your staff, you know, really present that potential uh, risk to your board uh, because I think it's, it's a valid point for them to, to consider and in terms of you know, whether that leads to a reconsideration, um, which has been <laughs> a word we've used several times this evening, but a reconsideration of this, uh, of this change, of this decision, uh, whether it leads to, 
you know, a delay, you know, until some of this enforcement harmonization uh, activity would seems to seems to be more active. In the last couple of years, it had been certainly uh, uh, before folks like yourselves were were in your current roles. Um, maybe delaying things until that's complete. Um, but I do think that there's enough kind of overlap uh, between this change and some of these, uh, you know, pending questions that, that, uh, that, you know, just doesn't look right. And so I would hope that that's an important part of the, the board's consideration. Well, I appreciate your comments and I'm taking notes to, you know, make sure I reflect what I'm hearing tonight back. And um, just to say and acknowledge that we did spend quite a bit of time yesterday at the MTA board meeting um, discussing the unbiased process that the hearing officer has established. And um, there was a lot of detail provided there by my counterpart that is not my side of the ethical wall, so I did not present that, but that um, the the CFO who is responsible for the hearing section presented on that to, again, assure the SFMTA board of the unbiased nature of the hearing officer's decisions. And, um, and so there was a lot of detail. Um, and so I'm just, I just wanted to acknowledge that and appreciate the comments about optics. And in fact, that was part of the discussion before the SFMTA. So thank you for that. I wouldn't think that. I don't question the un I wouldn't question the unbiased nature of the any hearing officer. I mean, you don't have to put that out there for us. It, it, it's it's really if if you're the if 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 you're the the participant in the hearing, you're making the the I'm not going to stay away from the world of PO because we want to, but if you're making the case, um, and. And you you say, whoa, 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 I they didn't quite get me, you know. I don't think I, I, I don't. It wasn't. They were. They tried to be fair, but they just didn't get it, right? They just missed it. And and what we do here is, if somebody feels that, yeah, they they, they just missed it. They have some somewhere to go to before they go to civil court. And it, it's nothing about integrity of the hearing officer. It's nothing about the integrity. Of SFMTA, it, it's just giving, and it's across the board. Same thing with planning. Same thing with massage parlors. Same thing with, you know, with with uh, cigarette permits. You know, um, it, no, they just didn't hear me, that, and that's what we hear a lot here. They just didn't hear me. That would be your hearing officer. Nothing against the hearing officer. They did a great job, but the the but the participant. Who was who didn't get the didn't get get what they wanted has this body to go to, to and get a fair hearing and may be told exactly the same thing and 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 that I think is what uh, Jose is referring to is is that that builds faith in in government that builds faith in yeah you are listening to me I did really get my day in court in fact I got two. And uh, and that's it, you know. And and when again the judge, jury, and executioner, as as Mr. Epler said, I mean that's that's the optic. You guys, the judge, jury, and how could you be fair? Well, 
if you don't feel you're fair, give us the opportunity to, to go to an appeal. And this is a nice appeal because it doesn't, it's not, again, it's not civil court. It's just five people who you know, get paid big bucks every other Wednesday, free parking, mind you, uh, to, you know, to, to provide the people with, with a court and, and fairness. So I think that's what he said, that's what he said, and, and the other two probably won't disagree with me on that. So that's, I think that's our point. And we really appreciate, again, that you came tonight and heard from us uh, on this subject. We don't need the work, by the way. We got, we've got plenty on the agenda. But in the, in the spirit of supporting the citizens of San Francisco and those who, who have permits and have questions, I think it's in the best interest of the citizens of San Francisco that, that we continue that relationship uh, for the, with regard to taxi permits. And I think we're going to discuss, uh, you may get a written letter from us requesting formally the, the same with some of the same information, or you may not. We're going to take that up. So uh, thanks very much. Anybody else, or are we done? Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. So President Swig, uh, the agenda item, on the agenda, the commissioners are supposed to consider the possibility of sending a letter, as you just mentioned. Did you want to discuss that and explaining the factors considered by the board when deciding these types of cases? Are we taking public comment? Well, I think we're going to have the discussion and then have public comment. Right, because that was just a presentation. That was just the initial presentation. Not just the presentation. And then, yeah, that was the presentation <laughs> portion. Right, so then we're going to have a discussion on, on part one of the agenda, then part two, you know, whether other agencies have authority to take away or add these types of matters. Well, if I could start, my, my, my point of view is that we just had the discussion um, and that uh, there were some clear and decisive and direct points made uh, that I, I uh, that I hope you might have taken notes on Ms. Rosenberg and, and be prepared to uh, formulate a document that you can share with the rest of us uh, in consideration of moving something forward and, and we can take that up as an agenda item um, at, a, at an upcoming hearing that isn't too crowded. Okay, well, um, as I read the agenda item, I believe it was this issue was raised by Vice President Lopez, the factors considered by the board when deciding these types of cases, that would, that's what the letter was supposed to address. That, excuse me? The factors you. considered by the Board of Appeals when deciding these types, the taxi cases. Yes. So that's what was on the agenda. The letter yeah. was supposed to address those factors. Yes. Well, I think the factors were brought out in this consider in, in examples. They were exemplified in this discussion tonight. Uh, tonight. Uh, where this, this provide the opportunity to, to identify that. Um, uh, right. I mean, you, the board was talking about the benefits of appellants coming to the board, but right. it wasn't. You weren't having a discussion about the factors you consider when deciding the cases. For example, disability, what have you, service. But, but I equitable I consideration. I, I think we we did because Commissioner Lopez said, or I said, that t tonight we discovered that. Um, I said a mistake was made by a hearing officer. I was wrong. Actually, the the, the process of of over of the hearing officer changing their decision, possibly based on pressure from an outside source, was something that we protected the uh, the appellant from. To, or, or, okay, or, that's true. That's one factor. I uh, just didn't hear a robust discussion of the other factors. But yeah. if you so feel if, that it was fine, if any other, uh, any other, the commissioners would like to 
point out robust factors uh, that would support our uh, the other the more editorial substance of, of what might go into our letter right. that would I mean, be appreciated. In the taxi cases, this is the first time that was a basis for a decision for the two decisions tonight. We have never previously used that as a factor. So maybe Vice President Lopez can enumerate. Yeah, I think um, I would say it's, first of all, I think it's probably appropriate um, given that I, I suspect it's not appropriate to uh, broaden the 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 agenda item or the substance of the letter related to the agenda item kind of uh, without a future agenda item to to consider or to discuss uh, a different and additional uh, you know potential uh, aspect of 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 a potential letter uh, that we probably uh, calendar a discussion, not just about uh, the current discussion about the grounds for these decisions, but uh, the uh, the uh, appropriateness of of the change. And I think that's what, what I take our executive director's uh, point uh, to mean is that uh, we're kind of restricted based on what's been calendared uh, for this evening, uh, given you know, given the, the issues that we've discussed this evening in in substantive cases, and I think also some of the discussion uh, after the 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 presentation from the agency. Um, my sense is that we're all thinking that that we uh, might consider. Uh, you know, broadening that that scope to any letter we decide on, but but I do think it's it's fair to 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 calendar that and and have that uh, conversation uh, once the public has the benefit of of knowing what we're discussing. So they can provide pro pro proper public comment, right? And and give us some. Uh, some public thought and, right. and direction. I, well, I I'll probably have a motion to that effect. But uh, as far as the the current discussion, um, I I think that uh, what I would would add to our list of potential topics in any letter uh, would be uh, the uh, the uh, appearance or, or optics of. Uh, a fair hearing uh, before neutral hearing officers who have uh, the ability to reconsider uh, final decisions after they've been published. I would add uh, the elements of uh, equitable estoppel uh, based on uh, uh, previous statements that we've, uh, you know, seen in the record in, in various of these cases related to uh, whether or not, uh, you know, if individuals in the kind of, I'll just call it the appellant class, whether they uh, needed to uh, renew their A cards. Um, I think those are the two that, that jump out to me uh, the most in terms of things that we, uh, that it'd be good if, if we do uh, 
if we no longer hear these uh, issues, I do think it's worth uh, communicating, uh, you know, some of the the underpinnings to uh, the, the decision-making process that we've undergone uh, to whoever's going to, it sounds like the hearing officers uh, and, and the agency, um, you know, to hopefully make sure that, that what's been captured during this period uh, doesn't get lost uh, because we, we can't know the, the nature of uh, the, any future appellants and, and the facts of, of their cases or the, the quality of the briefing, if any, that, that, that exists. But I do think that there's, there's, been, um, there's been enough that's surfaced in, in these substantive uh, cases that, uh, that, that has been important in, in us reaching our decisions that I think uh, would be of benefit to anyone who, who decides these cases in the future. So all of that was to say that um, the two grounds within the agenda item that, that I would add to, to a letter would be uh, the uh, appropriateness of, of reconsideration by hearing officers of their final decisions and then the, the, the facts related to uh, equitable estoppel broadly. Mr. Chesina. Uh, thank, thank you, uh, President Swig. I, my personal view is that uh, you as our president or uh, Julie as our executive director have the inherent authority to encapsulate the discussion that we've had tonight uh, and, and, and as uh, the MTA uh, executive director goes back to her board, that you would have it within your authority to appear before their board as they deliberate over whatever changes they're going, they're going to make or propose to make uh, and inform them of the views that have already been expressed on the record tonight without the, without, either, either without the need for a letter or in addition to a letter, uh, however long the letter may take to get agendized and then get, and then get, and then get approved. So I would, I would consider that uh, presentation by, by, by you to be more valuable, or well, not more valuable, but more effective in conveying our views uh, than, than us taking a, a letter. So I would, I would hope that however, however we resolve the next agenda item, the contents of the letter, the actual letter, the signature on the letter, that you are able to take it upon yourself to convey the consensus views that have been expressed tonight. Uh, just, just for information, traditional protocol from this body has been that if we have a question like this, uh, that we where, where there's passion enough, where there's substance enough from the commission to do a letter, because um, we don't do them every day. I think uh, since I've been on this board, we may have done three. I think we've done three. We may have done four. Uh, that uh, just by by virtue of the fact the letter is sent, um, there's a re the, the body that it receives a letter respects the fact that it's a strong message and uh, deserves consideration and feedback. And I think we've sent two letters to the Board of Supervisors, and I know we sent one letter to the Health Department. Um, and and I, I understand that further testimony uh, would 
you know, be important, but I'm just saying that the traditional protocol has been this. And we have found, with the exception of, of one body, that the response uh, was pretty quick. And, and actually, we have had effects by simply sending letters with good substance um, along with a proper editorial, appropriate editorial. Well, if I could just briefly respond, I'm not opposed to a letter, yeah. uh, but this has been kicking around for a while. It seems that it's already been publicly noticed that I wouldn't want, us, I wouldn't want the great, impactful letter to come after the decisions. You, you got it. Um, Mr. Epler? Um, <clears throat> yes, uh, without waiting too far afield from what was agendized, um, you know, I, I appreciate uh, Vice President Lopez's focus on uh, talking about the um, equitable estoppel uh, that we have considered tonight and how that should apply. Um, it may be worthwhile as we consider how our factors apply to contrast those with those factors that the hearing officers at the SFMTA may consider um, as per their their. Um, uh, decisions, uh, they are not allowed to consider equity. And so that's a, that's a distinct limitation. And so as we discuss the factors that we consider, I think it's worthwhile to highlight how those may be more expansive than the independent hearing agent may be able to. So uh, where do we want to go now? Well, well, there is part two to the agenda. I mean, you discussed in general the SFMTA, but there was supposed to be a discussion whether other agencies have the authority to take, to add or take away types of matters. Did you want to have a general discussion about that? Uh, my feeling to start that discussion is that it would be similar. Uh, it would be aligned with the discussion that, that was t uh, made tonight by each and every one of us, that, um, that, we, serve a, that we serve a purpose for the for the citizens of San Francisco uh, to get another one one more bite at the apple as twice I've used that that metaphor tonight uh, and um, and and the opportunity uh, to be heard. No, I understand that's the benefit, but the agenda item discusses the authority. So I thought there would be a focus on the legal authority to take away. I thought that's what Commissioner Trezvina wanted when he brought this up at the last hearing. I'm, I'm going to give it back to Mr. Lopez and Mr. Trezvina since, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, so. <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll just say briefly that uh, President Swick has encapsulated what I had hoped to get from uh, adding the second part to, to the agenda. Okay, well, great, that, if that you feel like. Does, the, the, the values and considerations, I think, have been expressed by, okay. by us. Uh, thank you. Mr. So Lopez. Yeah, I think um, as uh, as the the agenda item, uh, the, the the two parts are, are somewhat related. Uh, I think what would still be beneficial for me, um, and I have to say that uh, a little bit more detail uh, in the preceding uh, presentation about the the informality of of the arrangement. Uh, that his, you know, uh, existed up until now uh, was was helpful, um, helpful background. Uh, you know, personally, I find it disappointing, but <laughs> but it's helpful to understand. Um, I, I guess I would like to um, to understand whether an analogous uh, informal arrangement exists with any other agencies, uh, whether 
whether there's something that we currently hear uh, as a body that um, that uh, is currently only heard before us because of an informal arrangement and not because of uh, you know mandates under uh, the charter um, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot but I think you know as we consider uh, you know future uh, items to agendize I think that um, I don't know who gets that homework assignment but <laughs> but but I, I think that's something that'd be helpful for me personally um, particularly if if there's potential for something like this happening again you know maybe, maybe it's something that we could consider consider being preemptive about uh, I, I I think it's a, it, it, I, I think it's a great idea but I, I'll take it one step further uh, and I'll put it on mr. Givner's shoulders um, I think that uh, maybe mr. Givner should uh, give us a, a, a brief presentation on for all of us to remind us um, from what departments are what departments do we get from which departments do we get permit appeals um, and as as a um, uh, as a as an inventory item for lack of it's getting late uh, which uh, from those departments that we do get appeals which are our formal relationships and which are casual more casual relationships as we just discovered tonight I had no idea that we had a casual relationship with MTA that's that was shocking um, and and so maybe mr. Givener in a in a legal sense can give us a one-pager type of presentation on where we get our perm where we get our permit appeals which are formal which are informal so we're, we're all educated how's that I like it okay uh, anything else do we have to yeah we have public where do, comment where do we need to go to wrap this uh, this discussion before we have public comment well, I think anything else? I, th I I think are we there you believe you've covered everything okay so uh, why don't we take public comment and then after that you can decide from after you get input from the public what you want to do okay you want to continue to expand the item Yes, two minutes. Okay, two so minutes. we're moving on to public comment. Uh, we'll take public comment from people who are present in the room. It'll be two minutes. And you have two minutes. Thank you. Uh, thank you again, Mark Ruberg, San Francisco Taxi Workers Alliance. Uh, and I, just uh, to point out Thanks for that the... Um, MTA board. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you please stop talking, the audience? It's distracting. We, sorry, Mr. Gruber, for interrupting. But if you could step outside, because it's difficult for us to hear. Thank you. Just to point out that the MTA board last last night uh, considered changes to the transportation code that would have made most of this conversation moot. So. Um, you know, whatever you do, I, I hope that you weigh in with them before they have another chance to take that up. Um, there's also been a mischaracterization in my mind of um, the relationship here. It's not an informal arrangement because it is in the transportation code, and that's why they have it on their agenda to take it out of the transportation code. Read those sections with the references, explicit references to the Board of Appeals. Um, the other point uh, 
Uh, by the way, uh, I really do appreciate the comments that each of you made on this issue. Um, it's just so important uh, to us to have uh, the right to come here preserved. Uh, many times I have disagreed with decisions uh, of this board, but uh, boy, uh, giving up that right would be um, very, very lasting on my agenda. Um, so we believe that this right is actually in the charter. Uh, and I hope you've had an opportunity to look at the brief that I furnished uh, after public comment uh, last time. Uh, there are two co-equal provisions of the charter. One explicitly grants uh, the right of appeal, including taxi appeals, and the other sees uh, ex uh, exclusive regulatory authority to the MTA, but says nothing about the quasi-judicial uh, remedy of administrative appeals. So these two provisions can be easily uh, reconciled. Uh, so Thank you. That's I, I hope I hope you'll look at that again. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Um, Mary McGuire. Uh, I'm I'm kind of confused because um, on your website now uh, there there's a list of all the filing fees. And on page 10, um, it, it says the Board of Appeals does not hear appeals related to taxi permits or medallions. Now, this was added to your website on October 25th uh, of this year. And Vice President Lopez requested to calendar this item uh, a week before that, on October 18th. So I'm, I'm confused that... Has this already been decided? I mean, you're the board. Aren't you supposed to decide these matters? And I just wonder why this was added to the website before you had a chance to have this discussion? And who added it? And did that person maybe overstep their boundaries? Uh, I mean, right now, it seems that a person has more appeal rights for a parking ticket than they do for a medallion revocation. Uh, I also I want to thank you because this was a really thoughtful discussion, and I really appreciate I appreciate all your comments, um, and particularly things that I've been thinking about about this permit harmonization. Is just why why now? I've been asking that question for quite a while now, um, and about the the appeals process uh, and the wording of the, you know the streamlining and the ethical walls, which somebody apparently jumped over. But I guess the real question is, who has the power? You, you guys have the power to make this decision, don't you? And isn't that what this uh, meeting was about tonight? So maybe if you could clarify that. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Julie. And, yes. Um, may, may we get an answer to that question? Because that also blindsided yours truly. Uh, that yes, I updated the website, and I have the authority to do so, yeah. and I did so after we got notice from the city attorney and notice from the SFMTA that they were um, electing not to continue to have appeals directed to our office. So we won't be taking any further taxi permit appeals. And the agenda item tonight specifically says... Uh, there was a general discussion on whether other agencies have the authority to add or take away the types of matters that fall within the jurisdiction of the board. Uh, there was no plan to discuss uh, the board's authority to maintain 
taxi decisions. I, I, I don't think that was that issue. I don't, that wasn't my understanding when we drafted the agenda item. Uh, so. Yeah, I just asked the, the, the yeah, no problem. Because I, and, I, I was, I was not in, I was ill-informed on the subject and maybe I should pay attention, more attention to the website. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir. You have two minutes. Uh, Robert Chazan, first of all, I would like to thank you for all the support that you have given us. I don't actually understand what the MTA representatives are doing here because yesterday I was at the meeting where they de decided four to one not to allow this to be discussed at this time. There wasn't going to be any representatives. There was going to be just a discussion because they voted down this. So what are the people doing here? The other thing I'm going to try and read to you, and I will give it to your attorney because maybe he can read it a bit better. It's not very good print. The language of the administrative hearing portion of the transpiration code 1120, the notice of decisions shall solely be based on the criteria set forth in Article 1100, including findings that shall be set forth in evidence in support of each findings. Only the officer's decision may be made and only upheld or overturned. The action sought by the MTA, and they shall not set conditions, establish special circumstances, establish special remedies, or impose other directives. The hearing officer's authority is limited to the regulations established in Article 1100. In other words, they're not independent, which Thank you. That's what okay. the MTA is claiming. Thank, Thank you. you. Your time is up. Thank you. You can give it. Okay. Carl McMurdo. Um, they're also not um, hearing officers anymore. So what I would suggest is that you do write a letter, because they're just complying clerks with whatever's in the code. I agree with what the taxi director said that these hearing officers are pretty fair. There were five or six cases last year in which they thought the medallion holder appellant was in the right, and they overturned the revocation. And so MTA responded by passing what Robert Chisana just read into the rule, put handcuffs on these people. So one of the things, if you're going to write a letter, just recommend they remove that, what they added last year. And then the process will work a lot better because some of the hearing officers are going to uphold what the agency did. In a lot of the cases, the agency is correct. But when they're doing something really unfair, they're not. And so the taxi director used, said that she was seeking compliance, another buzzword in my opinion. In the case of the man who called in a couple of times, Dirk Nahard, here's his story. He went out to drive a cab one night. He was a career driver, had a medallion ended up getting stabbed in the eye, blinded for life. For 20 years, his permit got renewed. 
Then this rule got put in that you have to have a California driver's license. Well, he can't comply with it because he's a victim of a violent crime and he's blind. And that's an egregious ADA violation. It turns out because of a something happened at this board where the attorney for Dirk read, had it read into the record what your rules were when a commissioner was absent. Okay, and the assigned McMurdo, uh, deputy city attorney, um, it's oh, I'm not sorry. Mr. I'm so sorry. Mr. Givner, um, a di different one. I think he botched it and he let, in any way, only two commissioners thought the revocation should take place, but the guy lost his permit. So I'm gonna, we're going to try to get it back somehow. But thank you for everything you did. It's been a long, you, long night fine. for you, thank I know. You. Thanks. Thank you. We will now take public comment from the people on Zoom. Mr. Fonseca, please go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Marcelo Fonseca, again, for the record. Um, I'd like to thank all of you serving on this board for leaning towards establishing that you really are our last hope. I do take a lot of pride in being a career cab driver. Uh, I did my job with pride every night. I was always, as I said, I'm not driving at the moment because of my health condition, but uh, I was on the night shift and I did it with pride. I did my very best to provide the very best service for San Francisco cab users. Um, since the MTA decided to monetize taxi medallions and since Uber and Lyft came to town and since the MTA, well, since late Mayor Lee gave away jurisdiction of Uber and Lyft to the PUC, a state regulatory oh. agency. Oh. And, oh. And, oh. Oh, oh. My, my goodness, I'm, I'm I hear sorry. a lot of noise there. But I don't know. We need to mute I paused your time and I muted the person. Thank you. Go ahead, sir. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I hope I can finish it. Uh, it's been, what I'm trying to say is, it's been a rough ride for cab drivers since Uber and Lyft came to town. The city didn't do anything. Our representatives in Sacramento did not introduce any legislature to regulate them as they should have. The app technology does not change the nature of ferrying people around for money. They are taxi services. So you are leaning towards establishing you are our last hope for justice. So thank you for that. I really, you brought back hope to us. So please uh, be our last Okay, you're you're on. You're muted. No, he's gone. Why don't we Hi. just give him twenty seconds? Go. Uh, no, Mr. Nehart, it's not your turn yet. Mr. Fonseca, uh, you have you. twenty Sorry. seconds. I just want to thank all of you for the comments made tonight, and thank you for establishing you are our last hope for justice. Uh, thank you very much. You brought hope back. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Okay, thank you. We'll now hear from Mr. Nehart. Please go ahead. You have two minutes. You you may need to press. Go ahead. Hi, Dirk Nehart. I want to thank you once again, and I'm pretty sure with all the lawyers present, it will be a slam dunk decision to reject this idea of prosecutor, judge, and jury. 
being in the same body. But I think it could be even a, a, a substantial reproach to that. And I hope you use your moral and political suasion with the mayor and the board of supervisors to throw all the bums out with their prokaryotic ethics and replace it with people who have some sense and uh, compassion. Anyway, uh, and the lawyer who authorizes the silly idea should be reproached with the San Francisco Bar Association. Lord judge and jury for the same body is not tolerable. And what brings the Superior Court or Federal Court uh, the reproach that this is necessary? You do it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now hear from Mr. Toronto. Please go ahead. You have two minutes. Yes, uh, good evening. Uh, I, I, I want to say in two of my favorite words, um, you, uh, Mr. Swig and the others, you are real mensches. You performed a mitzvah tonight by looking at how the industry has changed and how the MTA policy has not changed to go along with how, the, how teams have changed within taxi business. The, um, the truth is the medallion sales program was created in part to uh, allow for an exit strategy rather than continuing to do these constant enforcements of the violation of the driving requirement and of the, and of the other requirements to maintain a medallion. However, the, uh, the, 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 uh, you're not going to see that many cases. It should the MTA get its act together and create an exit strategy that is different than the purchase medallion program unless you're going to let transfers to occur at a more reasonable price based upon what's going on in the industry today. If the SFMTA spends as much time enforcing the taxi stands and the transit lanes and to have us access to Golden Gate Park that's not through a circuitous route and provide and spend more time on allowing us to have access to venues like the Masonic Auditorium. If they spent more time doing that, as much as they do with these, with these revocation hearings, then we would be in a much better shape and we wouldn't even be here tonight. But however, and I know that's a securitous way of saying that they're, that they're spending so much time dealing with something that where the medallion, if we revoked, again, is not going anywhere. And to have a more equitable spot there's a conflict between what's in the city charter Thank and, what you, the MTA and what the MTA. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Toronto. Okay, we will now hear from Dennis Korkas. Please go ahead. You have two minutes. You need to probably press star six to unmute yourself. Hello. Hello. Yes, we can hear you. Hi, Hi yes. Um, the, uh, the other day, um, Director M um, MTA... Director Tumblin said said that that he wants to streamline the process and he he doesn't want to duplicate the uh, work of, of the 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 MFDA going from that hearing officer to the Board of Appeals. It's pretty clear tonight um, that 
that the process is very, very different. The uh, Board of Appeals can broaden its scope, can, can look at other factors where the, the, the MTA is, is constrained uh, by the code, by the, by, it's just very, very narrow. Um, D- Director Lopez mentioned uh, something about trust in, in, in government. The, the medallion holders have really lost faith and lost their trust in, in the, in the M- M- MTA because it seems that, that we've been under attack and at war. They've, uh, they've, they've, they've changed the intent to drive to you must drive. They've told us in the past that, that we didn't need A cards when we became disabled. Now they, they're, they're changing that. They said we could sell when, when we got old, so, um, and they don't let us alone to let, let the market come back. We've lost trust in them because they are not holding their words. Um, they, so, so, so we need people like, like you to uphold our rights. And I, I really thank you for your comments, uh, and I, I support what you've said. And I hope you have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Okay, I don't see any. So, commissioners, um, anything further? Uh, the city attorney is recommending that this item be continued uh, instead of having any action tonight, given that uh, there's been discussion about expanding the scope of the letter. So, uh, we do have December 7th available or a time in January, we, but we probably want to hear it sooner rather than later, given. I think it's. Um, uh, Given that the MTA is in in action on uh, this item and is a top agenda item for themselves, uh, we don't want to arrive late to the party. So I think that December seventh would be appropriate, and and I would appeal to our uh, our board here that they put their thinking caps on uh, to identify uh, key bullet points to. Place in that letter, so we don't have to. So we come prepared on December seventh with each and every one of you having your points organized, and we can. Okay. So, uh, we, so we can give that to. We won't need to continue it because we're going to just plan on having a new agenda item. Yeah, fine. It's perfect. So that we're expanding. So, yeah, so we don't. No vote. vote is required. Right, but still the the, the same cold through. I'm I'm asking the board to please. Uh, uh, premeditate your your points of view uh, in this case and so that we're efficient and move forward uh, actively and we can get this letter to uh, okay. to SFMTA as quickly as possible. Okay. Thank you. So Any disagreement with that, folks? I have no disagreement with that. Um, it is my understanding that it is done without prejudice to your ability to express our views uh, to the uh, to the uh, MTA or others. All right. Thank you. Okay. So I think this concludes the hearing. I'll go there. Okay. Thank, thank you. you.